This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Drive to deep center field, going back Hernandez at the track, right to the wall, gone! Elvis Andrews! And 29 other MLB clubs. High drive, deep left field, Guerrero lifts one to left field and gone. Oh, Tani, that was a moonshot out there in the right center. Alonzo defends his title, the 2021 Derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe from OPS Plus to juiced balls to game-changing moments. We have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Red Sox won 8 of 10 on the road trip from Oakland, Anaheim, and Seattle. Red Sox, well, their starters allow just one run in 19 innings against the Athletics in their sweep of the A's. That's pretty good, right? Starters pitch 19 innings, only give up one run. Yeah, during the winning streak they were on, it was like 34 innings. One earned run they, they had going. Their team leads the majors in ERA this month. That's the team. Not starters, not bullpen. The team with a 2.04 ERA. And the Red Sox have won 9 of 11 so far in June. They also, because Jared Koenig is making his second start, which is good news. Like, we want to see. I don't know what this this guy can be. He's not a kid. But I want to see him. I want to see him pitch, right? Don't you want to see that? Don't you want to see something new? But Boston so far, they've won 11 of 15 starts this year when the opponent has started a left-hander. And I don't even want to get into J.D. Martinez's numbers versus lefties and also what he's done on this road trip. That's the bad news. You want good news? Yeah, always always end the bad with the good. Boston is only 13 and 14 this year at Fenway Park. That's not good. They have not played well at Fenway. And right now, the A's have a guy that is so hot, he literally can help carry this team. Who is that? Who is that? Is that as Chris, I, is that as I as I Point to both cameras. Is that Christian Bethencourt? That would be Christian Bethencourt hitting 529 last four games, three dingers, three doubles, five RBIs. Everything he hits is is smoked right now. He is a one man wrecking crew. So there are some good things for the Athletics heading into heading into this series. Am I overselling it? No question. That's what we do here on Ace Cast Live. But, you know, keep competing. And Jonah Bride's up, and unfortunately, Kevin Smith's down. That's not – I'm happy for Jonah Bride, a 23rd-round pick out of South Carolina. Uh, Melissa covered it earlier this year that in the offseason he decided, I mean, I'll catch, I'll play anywhere, which you're damn right, right? You want to get to the big leagues? You want to have a career? Pick up all the gloves you can pick up and figure out a way how you can be versatile. That's how you play ball. Unless you are a no-doubter getting to the big leagues and you got a position, you better find out how to play outfield, how to play infield. 
I can help you. Versatility is the name of the game. Figure out a way to help the club any way you can. Plus, I've got two things going today for A's Cast Live. One, I don't pull these out often. I've pulled out the A's. Have you seen these? I haven't. Yeah, I don't pull them out often. Oh, it's upside down. They're Nike. I don't pull them out often. I'm wearing these for good luck, the slide ends, whatever the hell you call them. And then my old friend, the great white shark. We're desperate. I'm calling in the great white shark to help us today here on the set of A's Cast Live. Last week, we put Ricky up. We highlighted Ricky Henderson. Ricky didn't deliver. So now we're going to the great white shark. Do you know where I got the? And this is what we're going to do on it. And this is what the great things about Ace Cast Live, you being able to watch it on YouTube or on Twitter. Obviously, on YouTube, it's on the A's YouTube page. On Twitter, at AthleticCast24. And if you're listening on A's Cast, thank you so much. We love you, too. Now, if Cody was astute, he'd be asking me, where did you get the great white shark? I was going to, then you went off about thanking everyone for listening. So I'll go back. Where did you get the great white shark? I got this great white shark at Universal Studios in the 90s. So it would have been, was that Orlando or is it L.A.? That'd be L.A. Because what's one, which one's in Florida then? They have you. They have, okay. They, okay. Florida has everything that Southern California does, but it's just all much. It's like it's like Florida, especially Central Florida, is essentially Southern California on steroids. They took Disneyland and made Disney World. They took Sea World, made Sea World. I mean, they've got a massive hotel. I've actually stayed at the uh, Sea World Hotel there in Orlando. It's got like a water slide park. I mean, Universal Studios there. They've every Orlando has everything that Southern California has, but just way more and way bigger. But yes, this is from Universal Studios in Southern California. I got it in the nineties. It's actually a koozie. And I remember when I saw it, I'm like, I gotta get that. And for years I had this uh in my office. I always kept pencils in it. And pens and everything. But since we redid this studio, I brought the great white shark out from my office in my house. And I'm bringing the great white shark in for good luck against the Boston Red Sox. Because you know what? I love Fenway Park. I've been to it a few times. Beautiful. It's historic. Just walking outside. I mean, literally, you can be in one of the bars across the street, and it's like 15 steps from the bar to giving your seat. It's like you're in a different world. It's like you're in a different time. You go back in time. You go into the stands, and all the seats are so are compact, and it's like you can see Ted Williams. You can see Babe Ruth. You can see, you know, the greats of the greats who have all played there. Yes, Carlton Fisk. I, I I mean, I've seen all-time. I've seen Cal – I saw the Orioles one time. And I remember going with my brother and my two buddies going, we're watching Cal Ripken play at Fenway Park. Right? I mean, he's an all-time great. 
Yeah. Like, I've seen all-time greats at Fenway Park in my time. I saw as, you know, I've talked about how my whole family is from, from the towns inside, is from Massachusetts. I saw when I was 11 years old at Fenway Park against the Angels, I saw two all-time greats that day. One on the California Angels. At that time, I'll never forget, Rod Carew got a double, and when he was standing on second base, the Red Sox faithful, what year would this be? 83? I was 11 in 83? Uh, yeah, you were 72, right? Yeah. Yeah, so 11, yes. I was 11. Gave him a standing ovation because we were there in the summer, and he hit this double, and he was hitting 400. Rod Carew was hitting 400. Check to see if I'm right. It was 80. He was on just a Rod Carew in 83 was on the Angels. It's 83 or 84. Rod Carew in 1983 and 4 was both with the Angels. Okay. So you're right. Pretty sure it was 83. But I'll never forget on the scoreboard there, and the scoreboard's much different now at Fenway Park than it was in 1983. Scoreboard was up there. God, I wish my mom was still alive. I'd have her on the show. I used to bring my mom on my old shows, by the way. Um, and they had that Rod Carew was hitting 400. And he said, 400, man. The last guy to sniff that was George Brett at the time in 1980. Still summertime. But the Fenway faithful, who they're a nasty bunch. If you've ever been to game, if you've ever been to Foxborough, uh, if you've ever been to Celtics game or a Bru- Bruins game, Matt... New Englanders are hardcore, man. They're nasty, hardcore, miserable people. Trust me, that's my family. I can say that. They're nasty. They gave Rod Carew a standing ovation. And also in that game, another all-time great, Carl Yastrzemski had a home run in that game. So I saw Rod Carew was hitting 400. Little did I know, I was 11 years old. I mean, it didn't seem like a big deal. But I look back on it now, Yaz went yard, Hall of Famer, and one of the greatest hitters of all time also, Rod Carew was hitting 400 at the time. So when you're there, it's historic stuff, man. You're like seeing like they've got the 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 red the red chair out there where Ted Williams hit a home run. I mean they got they got cool stuff. And Fenway Park, that's why Jesse Goldberg Strassler is like in for such a treat. And the fact that his first ever big league opportunity is at Fenway Park is pretty incredible. Got my Pitching Ninja mug. I got to send the Pitching Ninja. I did the uh, Pitching Ninja shirt as we got the last dive bar promoting everybody today. Uh, for my hit on NBC, and I guess they were talking about it. We got to get that to the Pitching Ninja. Uh, I sent him the one you did before in the uh, in the said Pitching Ninja shirt, and he appreciated it. So I'm sure he would appreciate the, the next one as well. Um, I wanted to ask you, by the way, Rod Crew hit 339 in 1983. So we, the 400 was great, but. Still hit 339, which is an all-time great number. Did any good? 339, any good? Uh, today's game, he's already going to be a Hall of Famer. Did you, um, did you, when you saw Cal Ripken play at uh, Fenway, was it during the streak or was it after? After, because it was 99. Okay. Just checking. I don't know if you're going like, to. Was it 99? It was somewhere around there, yeah. Yeah, I think it was. Because that was the uh, one of the most incredible trips of my life. I was able to, you know, because I'm fortunate to work in this business, I was able to plan a trip. Not only my brother was married, my two other buddies, Dean Matson and Mark Podesta, if any of you know them, 
Uh, I got us set up in Cooperstown, New York, because I, as people know, George Brett's my guy. Uh, George Brett, and so was Nolan Ryan. George Brett, Nolan Ryan, Robin Yount were going into the Baseball Hall of Fame, and that veterans community, whatever they were called at the time. Uh, also, and I was working at KMBR at the time, and Orlando Cepeda was going in. So you want to talk about a pretty damn good class. George Brett, Nolan Ryan, Robin Yount, and Orlando Cepeda. So I got a so I got a set up at Cooperstown. We then went up to Massachusetts to visit our family. Went to Fenway Park, then drove down. Talk about a big mistake. Drove down and drove into the Bronx Yankee Stadium. Bad idea. Bad, bad idea. But then went to Yankee Stadium. It was David Cohn's next start after his perfect game against the great Indians team. And then we went back up to Cooperstown and saw the Hall of Fame inductions, which I highly recommend to anybody. It's one of the greatest weekends of all time. If you're a baseball fan, it's heaven. All the Hall of Famers are there. I walked down the street and bumped into, physically bumped into Tom Seaver. He, we turned the corner together. I bumped into Tom Seaver. God rest his soul. Tom Terrific. Yeah. I mean, Not we, Brady. Bu- we bumped into each other, and it's like, oh, my. Hi, Tom. And he just kept walking. Hi. The I mean, way- you literally run. Pete Rose was at the end of the, the street. There's one long main street. He, You know, the Hall of Fame's on one end. Pete Rose is on the other. We went and talked to Pete Rose. I, it's insane. Uh, said hello to Juan Marichal walking down the street. I mean, it's like the, the Hall of Famers, they're everywhere. And then after that, we went back down to uh, Queens and went to a Mets game. And probably one of the coolest parts of the story was at that time where the U.S. Open is played in tennis, Flushing, they were doing all the reconstruction. So we went in, and it was wide open because it was a construction area. We had a, we had a case of beer. Went in, went all the way to center court. Like, everybody's got hard hats on. We went into the champion's locker room. Like, we're not supposed to be there, right? We're just a bunch of late 20 idiots who, once again, not married, no kids, so we could do a trip like this. Only my brother was married, but he was just newly married. And we went into the champ. You go in there, and you're looking, right? It's it's Borg, McEnroe, Connors, Laver. Like, they have all the oil paintings in the champions room of all the U.S. Open winners. And we're in the dude, we're in the champions locker room at the U.S. Open. Then we went to center court, went up to the main suite, and watched two guys play tennis. One guy was in a wheelchair. He was some uh, professional. He's on, I don't know what the tour is or whatever, but he was, you know, you're at center court watching these guys play and practice and everything. This guy was amazing. He's in a wheelchair. Wow, wow. It was and we sat there, and we because we were there hours before the Mets and the Pirates will, would, would play. Oh, that's gonna be it. That would have been a great game. You know, Pirates, who, of, Pirates of the late nineties, great bunch. And who got us tickets? Was and we, Brian Giles and my brother play golf in San Diego together, and we were at at the old Shea Stadium, hanging out with Brian. Sat with Brian Giles' ex wife, also a San Diegan. And so, talk about that trip. Hall of Fame, Fenway, Yankees, Shea Stadium. It was incredible. Uh, Manhattan. Partying in Manhattan. Couple, couple things. Did you bump into Tom Seaver? Did Tom Seaver bump into you? 
He's a big dude, so I think he bumped into me. Did, did he say sorry? Did you say sorry? No, I was just uh, – I can't remember. I was just like, oh, my God, it's Tom Seaver. And, and I remember I went, hello, Tom. He said uh, he said something to me, and he just kept – I mean, it was like, no big deal. Uh, I'm just trying to figure out, uh, you know, what the editor – I got to remember, dude, Tom Seaver, you don't – because we, we see these guys as old guys, right? I want to say how big he was. He was a big dude. He seemed like a big dude. They don't have his height. But I literally like we we touched. He like like six one six one. He seemed larger than life. It's Tom Seaver. But he's Tom Seaver. I know exactly who he is. Right? He's walking. So we came around this corner, and I was kind of coming up the hill, and because there's the main street. Do it for this camera. There's the main street that's the Hall of Fame, right? And the Hall of Fame's on the end, and everything kind of filters back down towards the lake. It's like a little Lake Tahoe. And and you see that uh, Esquaga, whatever it is, the the lake, and they have that they have the main hotel that's right on the water with the golf course. That's why it's like a little mini Tahoe. You can do boat rides. Now I'm going to recommend that you go in the fall. The leaves turn. It's absolutely beautiful when the leaves are turning in the Northeast, and it's not very crowded. When you're there for Hall of Fame weekend, oh my God! But when you're there in the fall, you can just. You know, there's no summer vacations. No one's bringing their kids. Kids are in school. You can have the whole Hall of Fame to yourself and be there. I'm serious. You could be. You got to go for days. You can't do it in one day. There's so much stuff to look at. You can only do it there for one day. And I've been very fortunate because of my grandfather and stuff. And my grandfather's there. They've taken us down below because I've gone other times with, with my family back in the day. But the hotel on the lake is great. But the fact that I was kind of coming up the hill, we were coming around the corner, and we bumped into each other, the great – Tom C. But that's what you get. Stan Musial, they dropped him off all at trolleys the night before. The dinner's there, and we were there. Stan Musial got out of his trolley and started playing the home, uh, take me out to the ball ba- take me out to the ball game <laughs> with his harmonica for the entire crowd. It's like a little, it's like everybody's friends. Your friends, Stan Musial, I mean, no longer with us. But it was like, it was incredible. If you ever get a chance to go to an induction ceremony, Highly, right? Re- it's going to be packed. You're going to spend some. You're spend some cash, but it's highly worth it. Uh, Sam Musial, the only guy to have the same amount of hits on the road as he did at home, and I put on arguably one of the greatest stats of all time, uh, and arguably one of the greatest hitters of all time, if not the greatest Cardinals player of all time. Although people argue Rogers Hornsby is a pretty good player too, but I'm going to go in a couple of years when Ichiro goes in. I think Beltre's in that same class too. He might be the year before, but it's like Ichiro and. I'm trying to forget who else is going to be How on When did Ichiro retire? Has Ichiro retired? Yeah, I remember his last game was Are in- you sure? I was there in Japan. That was uh when he that was his last game. If you remember, I was the I was the only person live. I don't know what the Mariners were doing at the time, but I was I was one of the only humans broadcasting live from the Tokyo Dome as Ichiro, I'm sure the Mariners have, but we didn't see them. I don't remember seeing them. But Ichiro came back out after the ceremony with Bob Melvin was there, and then I did it. Play, I did the play-by-play of Ichiro coming out to the entire crowd. I was there. Did he officially retire then? Yeah, that was his last. That was his last official game. So that was fi- that was 2019. So five years. Five years would be 2024. And in that class, when we look to see who just some of the guys would be up for their first one. I'll uh, tell you whether they're Hall of Famers or not. Um, okay. Bring it on. Beltre, 
Oh, no. First ballot. Uh, Joe Maurer. I believe he's a Hall of Famer. I would not bet first ballot. Okay, so for some reason, it's actually not. It's the next year then. It's for Etro. Let me see. If it's 2025. Now, if Etro's not going in, I give Maurer a better chance. Because remember, it's all, there's a game, there's a science to this. Okay, uh, Dustin Pedroia. No. Uh, CeCe Sabathia. Yes. And then Ichiro. Yes. And then other guys that could be eligible. I don't know how King Felix is eligible, but they say he could be on the first, first ballot. No. Other than that, I mean, you got, I mean, no one really comes close. Give to- me another one. Tula didn't play long enough. Or Troy Tulowitzki in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Uh, Curtis Granderson played very, long enough. Very great Troy Tulowitzki. We love you down the South Bay, but meh. The only guys that had, a war, the only guys that had war over 50 that are eligible here, Ian Kinsler, Pedroia, CeCe, and Ichiro. I always, even though he was always an opponent, I always liked Ian Kinsler. He was a good player. He could swing it. He was that gritty guy. He was that guy, a second baseman with pop that, that as a pitcher, you never liked facing. You never liked facing a contact guy who could also take you yard. Just F- FYI. As a pitcher, a guy who's all or nothing, a guy who's a strikeout guy, he's going to get you every once in a while, but I, I can get rid of him. I can pitch around him or strike him out as a pitcher. The guys that drive you nuts are the guys that are tough at bats and can take you yard. They are the toughest, worst guys to deal with. Uh, Kinsler in his career, 269, 257 home runs, 909 RBI. Not a big dude either, but yeah. no, not a baseball yeah. Hall of Yeah, and then I, I know people want to make the case for Pedroia. I think it's because of the Red How? Sox. How? It's what I say. How? I know he won an MVP, a couple World Series. He has a, what is it, 51.9 more. Well, he was on one. Uh, he would have been on the... 2000, oh yeah, 2013? No, he would have. No, he wasn't. He wouldn't play. He had the knee injury. He is a two time World Series champion. So, what about, oh, that would have been 13 and 8. Tell me how many games he played. What, in 2013? 08. Uh, 157. What year they win the World Series? He wasn't on the 04 team. How was he I, on I, two teams? Well, they won in 2013, and then they won again in, I don't know if he would have got one, but he, what year they win? They won in 04. He wasn't again, on the team. And then they won again in, oh, who they beat? It was. Uh, this is poor Red Sox knowledge by you. Usually I know the World Series winners, too. Um, it was Red Sox, White Sox. Did the Red Sox win again or was it the Cardinals? How about I just go to the internet? Uh, 13 and 18, yeah. So he would have got one for 18 then. He played know. in three get Case in point. See, this is why you don't listen to Cody, and this is why you don't listen to these kids. I catch them all the time. I had one, we hired an intern from Syracuse who tried to fight with me that we're not drug testing anymore. Literally (laughs) was like swearing on it, we don't drug test anymore. We don't test for steroids anymore. No, 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 no. I'm like, okay, during the lockout, because like we didn't. But, yeah, once it was signed, it was back in. You sure? He's a two-time World Series champion when he played three games. I don't know. Baseball reference says two times. Oh, I'm sure he got a ring, but you're really going to put him as a well, that's like two-time? The, you have the same ring with Wainwright. Remember, Wainwright was hurt the year they won the World Series in 2011. And they only say he's a one-time World they Series champion. they say he's a World Series champion. The years that he closed. Uh, yes. Yeah, he doesn't get two. So it picks and chooses when you're a world. If, like, if you're like Barry Zito, 
And you did not – you pitched throughout the regular season, but you were left off the playoff roster. Yes, you count for being on that team. But if you only play three games in the regular season and you played none of the postseason, you shouldn't be counted. It's different. It looks like I mean, maybe they're playing favorites because he played for Boston. Oh, wow. I'm telling you, this is a horrible road to go down. This is stuff they fear. They're scared to death of this in the NFL. They're scared to death of this in the NBA. And now it's coming to baseball. Kids in high school, I don't want to play anymore because of where I want to go in the draft. She just said all the kids, the majority of them going in the first round, are already all injured. Everybody pitching to max. Every single time you put a ball in your hand, every single time, look at this camera, every single time I put this in the hand, I'm throwing it as hard as I can. I'm taking my slider. I'm getting as much as I can. My curveball is as much as I can. My split finger, it's as much as I can. You know what that does to your elbow? Every single time you pick this up and you get on the mound and it's full velocity, it's full everything when you're split and your slider, it's not good. It's not sustainable. And why I compare it to golf is because these golfers are going out to the range and pounding balls, and they got their track mans there. Everything. But your back, your hands, your arms, your spine, your hips, your body can only take so much. Why do you think they don't hit every day in football? Because your body can't take it. Why do you think they don't run up and down the floor every day and practice with the NBA? Because they can't take it. They just have shoot-arounds. And they do walkthroughs because the human body, the ankles, the knees, they can't take it. You guys are all so enamored with velocity. You know what? You run out of pitchers. Ask the Tampa Bay Rays. Cody, did, uh, did, did uh, Cody, you've been in on this. The Rays and the amount of guys that they've got hurt. Kittridge, another guy. Nick Anderson hasn't returned. They've got so many guys since 2018. They're turning and burning these guys. Hey, that's great for the Rays. Is that good for the humans? Is that good for these guys' careers? Oh, you pitch till your arm blows. He's gone. You pitch till your arm goes. He's gone. They're a factory of injured players, and they don't care because they feel they'll just find another guy to replace you. So, and give you context. The Rays since 2018 have used 93 pitchers overall. Um, that, I think that includes position players. As a good team. Yeah, that's 10. Not, not like a bad team like, hey, we just got a bunch of crap guys. And we're kind of just fi- trying to find people. What, what's crazy is that's not even the most. That was 10th most. The Mariners have used 100. But the Mariners have been a crap team. Yeah. Ever you're going to bring me up who's ahead of these guys are not yeah. teams competing to be the, in the postseason. So this year, so far this year, including position players, so our good friend Brett Phillips, Maverick, they've used 28 guys already this year, and we're in June. That is, I think it's the second most um, by guys, third most in baseball. For context, the A's have used 26, including position players. The Astros have the least. They've, they've only used 18 guys. The Yankees at 19. Where are the Astros and the Yankees at? Uh, Yankees have the best record in baseball, and the Astros are right up there too. Now, the Rays are still competitive, but you're right. Kittredge, Tommy John, or not Tommy, yeah, he's having Tommy John, I believe, out. Nick Anderson, 60-day IL, hurt. Uh, Peter Fairbanks, remember Fairbanks, a two-time Cy Young, or two-time Tommy whoa, John. Whoa, whoa, yeah, yeah. whoa, whoa. Two-time uh, Tommy John surgery Let, guy. Can I explain it? The big, lurchy-looking guy that they had coming out of the bullpen. In 2020. Yeah. And he had the great, his, he always moved his legs on the mound. He's on the injured list. Luis Patino, who throws hard, he's on the injured list. 
they have so many guys on the injured list. It's unbelievable. They have uh, they've already used twelve different starting pitchers. They have eleven pitchers, even including guys in the minor leagues, on the injured list this year. Eleven, and they've used twenty eight guys this year. Well, twenty seven of you include Brett Phillips. And now we're talking about high school kids. Are you going to have college pitchers who go, ah, I'm not going to play in the regionals. I'm not going to play in the super regionals. God knows I'm not going to pitch in the College World Series. That's coming. So what do we have? We have a bunch of workout warriors. That's what they become. They become workout warriors. They don't become ball players. There is something to actually playing the game and having instincts. It's like pitchers. We're teaching all these guys to come in and I can hear people going, ah, it's just a bunch of old men. Talk. No, you're not teaching them how to actually play the sport. You're teaching them how to work out and be great at throwing bullpens. These throw factories, you see it all the time, the videos of these kids that are at these. I, I saw one about this one. We have one here in the Bay Area down in Morgan Hill where every kid is just trying to maximize velocity. There's no hitters at the plate. There's no competing going on. It's just how do I throw the ball as hard as I can? And look at how many guys, I mean, look how many guys are hurt going into this draft. We're already drafting hurt players. The majority of the kids taken in the first round this year have already had major, some type of major injury, really, which is Tommy John surgery. Yeah, the number one, the number one pet prep kid, Dylan Lesko, who's a righty, had Tommy John surgery, and that's why the the kid, the left-hander, uh, Barreria, Brandon Barreria, who's going to be a, a, probably a top ten pick, he's not he's gonna, not going to play. Or he Good sat luck. out the rest of his like what was it last two months of his senior year this year. Good luck, Casey Mize coming up with the Tigers. Up uh, where's he? Uh, Tommy John surgery now. They're all. Why would why would you even, I, why would you even give a pitcher money? Steven Strasburg. Oh, God, here what, we go. Since he signed that contract won the World Series, he's pitched 31 innings. Yeah, and as an ERA, what was that, like, close to seven? Um, he's on the injured list again. Again, yeah. seven years, $245 million. World Series MVP. Terrific. He's been in the Major Leagues 13 years. How many years has he made 30 or more starts? What? Strasburg. In what, his career? In his career, 30 or more starts in a season. Two, three? Three times. Yeah, nothing. No three volume. Three times. Volume, folks, volume. We got uh, what do we got? What do we got coming up uh, next? Jesse Goldberg Strassler is coming on. Um, he's doing Kotze's media scrum, so it's going to be a few minutes. That's fine. Um, I'd like to take you back to Arizona, out by the pool. We stopped by a really cool cigar bar, and they have these in Arizona. It's amazing. It's a full bar, but it's a cigar bar. So everybody's in there smoking cigars. It's a full bar. Uh, it's not California. Remember how cool that place was? What was it called? Oh, in Arizona? Um, I'd have to look it up. It was the Fox or something? Like that. It wasn't with the Fox. There was a Fox out with a cigar. That was their logo. Yeah, but I, I can't remember the name of it was. Super Scottsdale's. I, I, super I, I, school. I, I had a few cocktails. Super cool then. spot. I had a few cocktails, I mean, by then. Um, and then we went back and sat by the pool and smoked cigars and had this debate. How much are you liking Kenny Rogers, the gambler's career now, now that you know what's going on? Um, I mean, he has, he has a nice longevity. The volume of his career. I mean, volume is something that's dying in our sport. Like, how big, how big, like in five years, if we're going to have players who are skipping pitching in high school and college, 
limiting them in the minor leagues, and guys are giving you less and less, as you've already bet me this year, not one guy will have 200 innings. In five years, how many pitchers are you going to need to get through 162 games? Well, we did the math. How many outs was that? It was like 4,300-something outs. Um, And that's not counting extra innings. Yeah. uh, I think your idea of the 20-man, I mean, we're already already at 14. What is it? You're going to need 17? You're going to need 18-man staffs, 20-man staffs? What are you going to – with the amount of position players pitching right now, it's like every day. It's like every single day. What's his name? Uh, Frank the Tank just threw the slowest pitch in the history of baseball. Frank Frank Schwindel. That's A's legend, Frank Schwindel. Like, it's like every day we have position players pitching. It's a mockery. Yeah, the position player thing is, then you got the issue that happened Lowe's that two weekends ago with the Dodgers where Dave Roberts didn't know you had to be down by six runs to bring in a position it's player. It's a joke. And the, and the Mets were pissed about it. The Mets were like, you're giving up on the game? You're the Dodgers. You have the like, best offensive base on your and you're only not five. We had we had one team. You had two first place teams. One team was giving up in the game, and the other team, who normally would be like, "Great, they've given up. We've won." Went, "No, you need to keep playing." Yeah, it would be different if it was the Mets playing uh, the Orioles or them playing the you know well, the Pirates. But I want to dispute you and what you just brought up. What? Did I, oh, the age. Yes. I, 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 when is that, when, when was the last time that was updated? I mean, they update this pretty, pretty frequently because it has like manager success rate and attendance and all that stuff. If you're looking at the A's average age for their hitters, it is 28.9. So 29, their pitchers. That's not counting Piscotty. Well, he played in a game, so he would be included. Wait, is that counting everybody? Yeah, includes, that includes everyone that's played this year. We're 28 point. Now, I think we're older. Uh, so, 29 and our pitchers are 28. I don't think you know how this is calculated. Is this current roster? Is it everybody who's played for the roster? How is it calculated? I would assume it would be everyone that's played because it's 2022. It has the attendance. It has the age, payroll, the time of our games, which our time of our games is – Three hours and two minutes, because I got a lot of thirties. I got a lot of thirties guys. Bethancourt thirty as of right. Like look at the team right now. Bethancourt thirty, vote thirty seven. Elvis thirty three. Matt Davidson is Matt Davidson included in this thing? He's thirty one. Tony Kemp thirty. Jed Lowry thirty eight. Yeah. How can you tell me our our average age? I got Chad Pender thirty. Yeah, you can throw in Pache at twenty three. But look at Ramon. If you're saying it's twenty eight point nine, Ramon's twenty seven, Barrera's twenty six, and you got Jonah Bride twenty six. You know who skews it down if you if you include who other than Pache? Who skews it down dramatically? Nick Allen's twenty three. And the how many how many games did he end up playing in? Uh, what is the average we are right now? We have to be over thirty. The average age of our of our position. Oh, players, on, the, on the roster right now, we have to be at least. If it's you're if, talking one of the twenty eight man right now playing in Boston. Yes, I'd say probably close. Thirty, close to thirty. Yeah, I mean who's the thirty? 
The youngest guy right now would be Pache, 23. I mean, if you took Pache off our roster, we're easily our average age is 30. Our oldest guy, our youngest guy would be Luis Pereira at 26. That's it. Him and Bride, 26. And then two more, what, two more 27-year-olds? That's yeah. it. Ramon. You want to throw You want to throw in the pitchers? I mean. Their average age is 28, according to We only have two guys under 28. We got Puck and we got Zach Jackson. Acevedo, 28. Blackburn, 28. Irvin, 28. Whoa, whoa. All, Adam Aller, 27. Don't hey, forget, he's up uh, here. Yeah, he just got here. Austin Pruitt, 32. Trevete, Lou's 30. Where's Sam Selman? Did we send him down? He yeah. was 31. Yeah, he was Lou's 30. I mean, cut. this is an old roster. Jared uh, Koenig's 28. This It's an old roster. Caps, 28. The other, who's the how, about, how about how about my buddy Rightfield James texts me, ah, oh, Cap. Like, no, Cap's an older dude. These guys are 28, 29. These guys are not a young baseball team. That's why I want to see young players. I want to see more young players. And what we're going to have to start getting into is calling this whole minor leaguers got to be there for everywhere because they got to get seasoned. You got to, they're like a steak. You got to put seasoning on it. Really? Do we want to go through, like, if we went through top 25 players in big league baseball right now, what do you think the average age was they made their MLB debut? A lot of them pretty young. I mean, Soto was 19, right? Acuna was 20. Go down. Trout. Harper. We're just talking about Machado. Harper. Harper. Uh, Albies, Acuna. I mean, we can talk about all these dudes. Ozzy Albies, by the way, is 25. He's like one he, on the IL. Feels like he's been in the league for like 10 years. He's yeah. 25. All these teams are bringing up guys early, and we act like our guys got to be in the minor leagues for for years to season. Yeah, 25. Years. Albies. When did Albies come up? Uh, let's see. Another guy feels like he's been in the league forever. That'd be uh, Francisco Lindor and Jose Ramirez. They're both in their mid twenties. Uh, Lindor or uh, Ozzy Albies debuted at twenty. 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 We act. We act like Pache's young. Oh my God, he's only twenty three. You got all these teams are debuting guys in their early twenties. Lindor was twenty one. Jose Ramirez. He might be one of the best. He. He's. I'd put him in the what top five best players in the league right now. No doubt. He debuted when he was 20. He's now 29. Oh, we're happy that Chriswell got moved up. He's a college guy. How long How long do our guys need in the minor leagues? Shay Langoliers is how old? 26? No, no, he's not that old. 24, 25? I think he's 23, 24, yeah. Okay, Albie's been in the league since he's 20. You know who the youngest pitcher to debut for the A's was this year? Or a pitch in a game for the A's this year? That'd be Adrian Martinez, who was 25. Then Castellini, did, who pitched in three games, is 26. Logue's 26. Dalton Jeffries, speedy recovery, uh, who's on the 60-day IL, was 26 as well. Machado, what, he debuted and he was, uh, what, Machado 19? was 19. Harper was 19, too, I think. Fernando Tatis Jr. And I know we're comparing them to the best guys, but Fernando Tatis Jr., he appeared at 20. Uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. 
He would have been 20, maybe 19. He appeared at 20. I mean, I am tired Boba, Boba of Shell. hearing about how all our guys got to get all this damn seasoning. I, I, I think... I think there is a old school. That's why I mentioned putting the committee together to help change things has to be people that are, if you're 50 or older, you're not allowed to be a part of it because there's too much of, there's too much ingrained that's bad business. And if you and I went and did the top three players of every organization, all right, if we just say, okay, who are the best players, top three players of every organization? And we did, like, the average age of those players when they made their debut. What do you think it'd be? But Farron's an old-school baseball guy. He believed, ah, the biggest John. Ah, you know, there's always that, the old-school the old school way. It's got to got these guys got to sit in the minor league, you know. And then I know I'm right when it comes to contracts. They do not want to give 30-plus-year-old guys long contracts. It's true. They want short contracts. They want to use you. They don't want you long-term. Uh, the best case the best case and example we just talked about the last two days, uh, how's that Strasburg and Rendon deals working out for the Nats and Freddie the Angels? Freddie Freeman. Freddie Freeman won the World Series with the Braves. And they moved on for a guy that's a couple that's four years younger. Yeah, they, they ran out Matt Olson because of his age. Um, so, the, so let's, I mean, let's stick with them for a second. Uh, if you take the top three guys from their their team right now, uh, you know, four, I'll throw in Austin Riley too. Um, oh my God, those guys all made their debuts in that 20, 19. Yeah, 19, yeah say it'd be him, it'd be Riley, Acuna, uh, Ozzy Albies, and let's throw um, Dansby Swanson in there. I mean, they got a lot of starting pitchers that are young too. Um, the, but those guys, their average age would have been around 20, 21 when they debuted. Um, let's see. Um, ha! Ha! How old was Jose Canseco when he made his debut? 20. 20. We got anybody 20? Uh, no. Do we have anyone close to being 20? No. I'm going to go to... Soderstrom, but he's only in, he's in high A Lansing. Ricky Henderson. 20. It's pretty, it's pretty good. Uh, Austin Riley was 22. He's now 20, 25. So he still debuted in his early 20s. And I'll look at Dansby Swanson because we already went over Ronald Acuna Jr. and Ozzie Alves earlier. Dansby Swanson, when he debuted, was 22 as well. Remember, number one overall pick in the draft from Vanderbilt traded for Shelby Miller from the Diamondbacks by Dave Stewart to the Braves for Shelby Miller. Debuted at the age of 22. He's now 28. He's a dark horse potential top five MVP guy. Mark McGuire, college guy. College guy, USC, 21. 22. And I want to go to one more guy who, God, he spent. Who else played on that team with him? There were two guys. One guy's in there. Will Clark had to be. He was right. Will Clark played like a day in the minor leagues. The thrill. By the way, Will Clark and Mark McGuire, hard to believe. Their wars are very similar. Uh, Will the Thrill was up at 22. Different. Well, you know, you know what, the, you know what the, the argument will be. But it's well, not different. That, it's well, not different people, because we got a bunch of dudes we've just proven right now on a bunch of teams are coming up in their early 20s. Uh, here, here's a guy. This guy can never stay healthy. 
But when he does, the team's really good. Let's take a look at uh, twin center fielder Byron Buxton. How number, old? The number two overall pick in the draft in 2012. He debuted at the age of 21. He was a high school kid, but still. I mean. He's now 28. Going to be 20. Give me a player, any player. Give me the best player uh, on a team, and let's look him up. Uh, Joey Votto. Uh, he's a little older. That's a bad example. I don't know. Let's look Miguel Cabrera. I think Cabrera's, what, 19 or 20? I don't think Joey Votto's would be 26. Joey Votto came up at 23 years old. Yeah. Uh, here, I can look up. I think Cabrera was like 19, right? Oh, yeah. With the playing in the uh, outfield for the fish. Cabrera, when he debuted, 20. Like a young, like just turned 20. So that's another guy. Uh, oh, the, there you, there's another one. I want to look at Yelich. I'm just looking at it. We went around that. Yelich at 21. Mookie Betts, 21. Like how many guys do we got? What was, what was Bellinger? Uh, one second, I'm looking up. Hey, here's the guy that got sent back down to the uh, – he was 23. Joey Bart, that's a bad example. But he was a college kid. He debuted at 23, though. Uh, Bellinger was – Posey what? wasn't long. Bellinger was – 21. 21. Like, the more we start to do this, do they start to become less outliers? We're also looking at the best of the best, too. Posey was 22. Well, also how long guy. is your career going to be? How long is your career going to be? And how long can you just rely on, let's face it, if we went to 2012-2013, Cespedes was a random get. Donaldson was a random thing. I mean, Donaldson was the fourth guy of a trade who spent forever in the minor leagues and just blossomed out of nowhere. I mean, how often can he count on that? Not often. How old's Langoliers? Langoliers is 24. He'll be 25 in November. He's 25. He was a college kid drafted uh, a year after Joey Bart was drafted. It was him and uh, Adley Rutschman. Rutschman made his debut already. He was a college kid, too. Now, he was number one overall pick in the draft. He was a 1-1. But still, uh, like what is Rutschman? Rutschman's 20. Adley Rutschman, I think, is 22 now, maybe. Maybe 23. He's, well, never mind. He's 24. So there's your outlier. <laughs> 24. I mean, what what really is young? I I, I don't, I don't, I, how much, are you, how long are we waiting? Carlos Correa, when he debuted, was 20. Now, once again, you could say all these guys are an outlier, and I get what an outlier is, but the more we bring up, they become le- the more the numbers grow of wait a minute. If we went to the roster, took everybody's best players on every roster. Altuve was twenty one playing for an awful, uh, awful Astros. Twenty one, twenty, twenty one, twenty two. We're starting to see. I you know, Bregman. Give me Bregman. He's college guy. College guy out of LSU. Bregman coming up at twenty six. Eh. Bregman was twenty two. Twenty two. Hi. How many teams do we got to do this with before we start saying this outlier group is actually becoming bigger? Well, how was Sonny Gray when he debuted? Let's just let's take a look. Sonny Gray debuted at age 23. Okay. 
So that's twenty three. Yeah, that's how old's Langoliers? Twenty four. And Pache's twenty three. Yeah, he Pache Pache came up at what twenty two? He might have been twenty one to be honest. I think he he debuted in the twenty twenty season, so he might have been twenty one. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty confident that that's when he debuted twenty twenty. Just gonna check here. Christian Pache came up at twenty one. Yeah, 2022. He's been up. He's been playing in the big league since 2020. Yeah. I mean, he played, what, two games? Two games. He was in 22 four games appearances, last year. Four played appearances. But he came up. <laughs> he was. So this whole – I would actually love to get into this more if we had, like, a long forum to have guys because I know we now know where Farron stands. Like, this whole – the biggest jump here and the biggest jump is here. But – we're, we're finding, as we just do the research, we're finding more dudes coming up a lot earlier than I think people think. You know this would be good to do it with? We should do it with our like, minor league broadcasters. Do something along with it. Because they're, they're around all these guys. They would know. Yeah. Like Jesse and Alex, Bob Hards, Russ Langer of, the, of Vegas. Is a professional athlete young at 25? Now that we have we've, – we, we have – we have degraded guys in their 30s. Yeah, I agree with that. Would you agree with that? I think old school baseball would disagree with that. But I think newer school people would tell you, yes, we have degraded guys that are in their 30s, especially once they hit. We look at Elvis like he's ancient at 33. That's yeah. my whole point. He also debuted at 20. But that's my whole point about, about guys in their 20s knowing that did, did Farron disagree with this about guys in their 30s? Th- I disagree with that. I think mean, when I said, hey, we, we, we look down yeah, on guys he, in yeah, their 30s. He said later 30s. So he was Later like, 30s? We're looking at Elvis as an old man at 33. At 32 years old, they, they. Well, it makes me feel old. I mean, let's be honest. Freddie Freeman was kicked to the curb. If you really look at the negotiations, Freddie Freeman they found an option that they could replace Freddie Freeman, an all-time Braves great. They could do it. They snatched it, and they moved on as fast as they could because in the end, the Braves really didn't want to sign him at 32 years old. Safe to say, I wasn't there, but just from the outside looking in, if they could get out of having to pay him well into his 30s, but they the, the first part of that contract, he's 32. Obviously, as a free agent, he's not signing a two, three-year deal. We do not want to sign anybody, once they get into their 30s, to more of a long-term deal. So if that's the case, i got to get them in their 20s. But if you're now telling me, well, we got to let them season in their 20s, how long do I got these guys for? Yeah, I'm trying to to place a guy that's in the last, let's see – uh, 20, no, not 20. The last, like, five or six years in the A's organization, that was a topper, a higher echelon prospect that debuted. Uh, how, how old was, did we look up to see how old Chapman was when he debuted? We looked when he was drafted, but we didn't look to see how old he was when he debuted. I'll go Matt Olson. Who, remember, he got, got Matt Olson got caught up, called up for 11 games at 22. Olson was, or Chapman debuted at 24. That's kind of late for a guy that was supposed to be Captain America. And he was a college guy. Yeah. So that was late. That's a late one. Um, 
Because all these other guys that we're looking at supposed to be greats are coming up before 24. Uh, Sean Murphy, 24. So you get 24 to 5 to 6, 27. You get five years. They start turning to 30, and you're moving on. No, I believe in the same draft, uh, Will Smith was in there, the catcher from the Dodgers. No, he was 24 when he debuted, too. I'm just looking at guys in that same draft. I think him and Murph were the two guys in the 2017 draft, like the catchers that were linked. And I think I know Murphy had an injury at Wright State that, that held him back. But still, I mean, I mean, look at the, a lot of the Dodgers guys. That is, by the way, that is a think. I like to think of things in time. Think about that in time. So basically, you get drafted at a college. Your window, that twenty four is really a big number for you, because if you, the lights haven't gone on by twenty five, now what are you thinking? Yeah, will you will you ever debut? Will you ever get your shot? If you're 25? I mean, I'm, I would start thinking that if you're not up yet. You, you're a higher draft pick or you're. But the old thing would be, ah, he's only 25. He's 25 years old. You enter your prime. What is your prime years, 28 to 32? Dude, can't you start entering your prime at 26, 27? Because you're telling me by 31, 32, guy's now old. So when is your prime? Like I looked, okay, 2016 draft, the ace pick, the ace Number one pick was the sixth pick. It was A.J. Puck. He's 27 now. 2017, I think, was Austin Beck, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, Austin Beck. He just got promoted to Midland as a high school kid. 2018, uh, so wait, how, Kyler Murray. How, he's wait, playing quarterback. Yeah, that's <laughs> The Kyler Murray one looms large. Let's just call it what it is. Kyle Murray looms large. Because how old's Kyler Murray? 20, let's see, Kyler Murray, 25 maybe? Maybe 24. He'll be 25 in August. So 25. Kyler Murray should be in the big leagues playing for you in the big leagues right now. 2019, I believe that was Logan Davidson. Yes. College kid who right now he's 24 years old. And where is he? I I believe he's at Midland. Twenty-four years old in Double A. Let me just double check. Midland Rockhound stats. So I mean, he he's now in that twenty-four, twenty-five. I mean, Jonah Bride did have a nice climb through the system this year. He went from Double A AA to Triple A to the major leagues. But he's not a guy that it's Jonah Bride. He's not a guy that you know you were thinking like, oh, this guy's going to be the future of the organization when he was drafted. In the 23rd round. Uh, let's see. Still loading. Um, where is Logan Davidson's played in 48 games in Midland. He's hitting 247 with eight home runs and 31 RBI. At 24 years old. Yeah, correct. When does he turn 25? Uh, I believe, was it, let me see. I thought it was a summer, but. This summer he turns twenty five. Let me let me just double check. December, so end of the year. So he'll be twenty five going into next year. I mean, about to be twenty six. I mean, you, it, this is this, see the ranges. See where ages and time really play. Like Zach Galloff is twenty two. You realistically, he would hope, should be. You know, I know he's hurt now, but he should not be far off from making his debut. Yeah, you would think if he wasn't hurt, 
maybe end of the year. I'm, I don't understand year. this. We got to leave guys and season guys. I, I don't. I don't. He's uh. He also remember he was playing at AAA last year after he got drafted. He played in the minor in the low in what we watched him play in San Jose against the San Jose Giants with Stockton. Then he got promoted the last like week to play in Vegas. So they they the, clearly the organization values his bat. My whole point is though, how long? Like how long do you get? Like how long do you need? Oh, the jump this, the jump that. I mean, I. Yeah, I get it. It's hard. It's the highest level in the world to play. I I get it. It's hard. But, you know, you need the right players to win. I'll tell you what. It's harder to earn a living as a golfer than it is a Major League Baseball player. You think I – there's guys that have come out. As they get older, they'll survive on tour. But the guys that are making the big money and the guys that are winning the majority of the tournaments, they weren't coming on tour for the first time at 26 years old. The top dogs come out early, and they're they're players. Wasn't wasn't Tiger like 18 or 19? A Tiger could have played coming out of high school. Tiger spent one year, one year. Phil won a PGA Tour event while at Arizona State. So Melissa, I mean, come on. Melissa mentioned this yesterday. Keep an eye on Garrett Acton because he throws you know high 90s. How old? Um, he just turned 24 today. Happy birthday, okay. Garrett. I mean, we're, then he's right about that age. Yeah. He'll probably be, if he comes up later this year, which Melissa said he's just got promoted to, to Vegas. Happy birthday, Garrett Acton, left-handed reliever or right-handed reliever, bats left, um, throwing 98. We'll probably see him. You would hope. Let's just look at some Yankees because I know you're such a big Yankee fan. You're a Yankee honk, so I got to take care of your I Yankees. believe Aaron Judge was a little older when he debuted, though. John Carlo was 20. Well, that was with the Marlins. 20? How old was Aaron Judge? 24. That's kind of old. Yeah, well, he was also a college guy. Yeah, but that's kind of old because he wasn't a top pick. Well, what yeah, pick? He, was, he was a first-rounder. What, late pick? First round, 32nd. So, it was a supplemental guy. Drafted by who in the 2010 draft out of high school? Uh, drafted by the A's. The A's in the 31st round. Obviously, he didn't sign. And now we he might be a guy that gets It would be one thing, million. too, if we'd had a bunch of dudes that had been traded and they've gone on to play. Like, oh, my God, what did we trade for Marte? Lazardo, and wasn't it, it was, wasn't it just Lazardo straight up? No, I think there was more than that. I thought it was there? just I thought it was just Lazardo. I'm pretty sure it was just Lizardo. just it was straight up. James Rodriguez Lazardo one for one. Mm. Where are where? I mean, it's not we haven't traded guys that have gone on to do anything, and the guys that we have lately. The one guy, there's one guy that has. Jonah Heim. Jonah Heim. And he wasn't. I made that joke, and everybody kind of went, I went, well, Jonah Heim's it. And he, I don't even think he's. Big Murph's it in 201. Jonah Heim also wasn't our guy either. He was drafted by the Orioles. So compare the two numbers. Murph's it in 201. 250 for Jonah. Jonah Heim. I believe they would have they, 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 seven they, home they runs. Have what seven do you got? home runs, yep. All right. I got to go the full stats here. Uh, let's go OPS. 
Uh, Murph's got a 665. 757. But he hits the ball hard. Remember that. Uh, Jonah Himes also 26. Going to be 27 in a few days. So he's younger. Yeah, well, he'll be, 20, he'll be 27 at the end of the month. Yeah, he's younger. Murph's already 27. Yeah, Mur- and Murph will be he'll be 28 in August or August October. It's just pointing out when you look at how organizations work, draft picks, international signings, guys coming through your system, going through a pivot, going through a rebuild, restructure, re whatever. How do you view it? What do you have in the system? And it's and and I thought thought Mike asked a very fair question. Well, who have you traded away to be good all these? Years? And I'm like, who? Yeah, there's not many. Who was the big? Oh, you're giving away your number one prospect. It was probably Lazardo. He wasn't a prospect anymore. I know, but. If you're talking about a guy like, oh, I can't believe you're getting rid of him. Part cool. of the problem is you, really your number one prospect, your highest, the highest pick you had in the draft in a long time was who? Kyler Murray? No. Austin Beck was a – him and Puck were both six and seven. And Murray. Was Murray was 10? 10, 10, yeah. And when was that? 2018. When was Beck? 17. Puck was 16. So Austin Beck better be coming up pretty quick. He just got promoted to double A. At 23. 23. Double A at 23. Yep. He should be. If we're going by all these other teams, right? Yeah, as a high school kid, he should be ready to go. But Kyle Murray was a college kid. Kyle Murray was the 10th pick in the draft, college kid. Ugh. One more guy before we go because we have to go. Michael Harris is playing for the Braves. No, the guy that was brought up, right? The, yeah. third, is, third round, isn't he the second? Yeah. Third-round pick. He debuted at 21. Drafted out of high school. How many Atlanta Braves players, a team that just won the World Series, all debuted 22 or younger for oh. the Braves, including Pache? Him, Pache, Acuna, Albies. Riley was a little – I think Riley might have been 20. We went through at 23. Swanson was 24. But a lot of the guys have been – Debuted early. Uh, Ian Anderson, one of their pitchers, was, I think, younger. Kyle Wright was is younger. Um, Bryce Wilson, who is now a pirate, but he was he debuted young. Like they, ha- they do a really good job of drafting and developing, clearly. Yeah. Freddie Freeman. Let's just do Freeman real quick. Freddie Freeman, this is different, no, obviously different GM. Freddie Freeman debuted at the age of, wait for it, 20. The more we delve into it, the more this whole, oh, those are just the best. Those guys are unique. Well, every team's got them. Every Everything that we have looked for, that we have researched on a live show, we haven't even had time to now go through everybody. Like, if we, go, if we, like, leave here, go through everybody's roster and start really delving into this, it's not going to be pretty. It, we've taken the outlier out of it and said, no, there's more of the norm of this than you think. One more guy. Sorry. Kyle Lewis is 26. He was a Golden Spikes winner out of Mercer College when he got, got drafted in 2016 for the the Mariners. He's twenty. He debuted at the age of 24. So still not bad. Golden Spikes winner. What about the other kid, Rodriguez, who they got now? Oh, he's 20. He's 20. Or maybe it might be 21. I mean, still. 
The only, the only other guy I could think of is remember? Do you remember Evan White? Uh, yeah. He's twenty one. Uh, Evan White. They signed him to a huge deal before he even debuted in Major League Baseball. They gave him like a six year deal. Uh, Evan White is right now. He is twenty six, but he's hurt. He debuted at the age of twenty four, but they gave him a six year deal for twenty four million in uh, twenty twenty. So two how, years. How, how long does everybody need to sit in the minor leagues? Are we? Are we how 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 are we going to sell this? How how long is everybody supposed to sit down there? Um, I mean, everyone develops differently, but not really sure. I mean, normally when we bring her on, it's sunshine and lollipops. Today, I'm a little scared, Melissa. I'm a little scared. We got a lot of injuries. And, of course, you do a bang-up job. You cover the minor leagues as good as anybody for the athletics uh, on the athletic. And it's just a lot of scary news down there. What is going on? <laughs> it's baseball. <laughs> baseball is is pain, <laughs> I think, a lot of time. Unfortunately, injuries are a huge part of the game. And, uh, you know, part of the reason that you acquire the number of prospects that they have requ- acquired over the last you know, six months and are going to need to continue to do so is because injuries happen. And so players don't progress necessarily how you would expect them to. Um, but there's, you know, definitely been their share of them so far this season. How are the injured guys that we got in the trades? Well, the only one who came completely injured <laughs> was was uh, Gunnar Hogland was, was, you know, like two thirds of the way through his Tommy John rehab and and as far as i'm aware you know things are progressing as they expected them to uh he's he's they were aiming at like kind of a late july uh debut for him just you know given what the time frame was from coming off this surgery um jt ginn had had uh, an oblique thing in spring training when they acquired him but it wasn't anything that prevented him from starting the season on time he has developed a forearm strain um that i think at first they were quite concerned about he had had a tommy john surgery in college um, the scans came back clean and it's, it, you know, it's just a matter of now getting back to the point where he can throw without discomfort again. So he's in a light tossing program. There's no necessarily any time frame for his return, but that doesn't mean that it's going to be, you know, a long, long time. It's just a matter of how he feels each day. Um, same thing goes for Zach Geloff in terms of being day to day. He, uh, injured his left shoulder diving for a ball, um, you know, one of those freak things that happen. There's nothing a whole lot you can do about that. Uh, there's no, there's no, there's no prevention you can do for dislocating a shoulder in a dive. Uh, it suffered a torn labrum in his left shoulder. Um, it's the non-throwing shoulder. It is a injury that, if he was a pitcher, obviously would be extremely concerning. If he was a left-handed pitcher, as a position player, it's something that if he can strengthen the shoulder enough to keep it stable he could play through and may never ever have to have surgery or maybe a thing where he plays for a while and it re-injures itself. And then he does have surgery. That's, that's what happened to Luis Barrera back in 2019 when he had a very similar injury. Um, once the surgery happens, usually it's, it's a non-issue for them, you know, once they've recovered from it. So I don't know that it's necessarily a super long-term thing, but obviously with a guy like Geloff, uh, who they were maybe, I'm not necessarily counting on to be ready next year because that would be a big jump for a guy who was drafted in 2021, but certainly was on a trajectory that that could have been possible. It may slow him down a little bit. Um, so definitely an unfortunate turn of events for him. You know, I'm having a hard time with timelines. And the reason why I say that is we're protecting kids in their 20s. And then we're realizing 
that all these organizations really don't want to pay guys in their 30s, and they don't want to make long commitments to guys in their 30s. So we protect ba- we protect and baby guys in their 20s and then don't want a whole heck of a lot to do with them in their 30s. What really is the window of a career now? I mean, when you yeah. really think about it. It's, you know, it's, it's tricky. I mean, I think the protecting guys really only happens with pitchers, right? And, and that has much more to do with, uh, you know, kind of this ever-chasing notion of how to prevent injuries with pitchers, which is something that nobody's figured out how to, how to do yet. Um, and I think as we continue to add more spicy breaking balls and high velocity fastballs, that the injuries that we thought, thought we could prevent from keeping guys on strict pitch counts and uh, throwing every so many days are going out the window just by the sheer force that we're putting on these guys' arms. I think there's going to be a lot of kind of looking back and, you know, maybe at this year you start to see like, Paul Blackburn is among the the war leaders, uh, you know, for American League pitchers right now. So is Martin Perez. And these are not the guys that you would have expected based on pure stuff coming into this season. But the wear and tear that you're sort of seeing from some of these um, new elite pitches may be taking their toll a little bit. Uh, But, you know, kind of going back to, to the idea of timeline, I mean, I think nobody develops guys with the idea in mind of when they're going to pay them necessarily. Um, in the A's case, they're going to, you know, they use their players until they can't afford them anymore. And depending on who the player is and when that comes, it is what it is, but they're, they're, they're what they're all organizations are looking for are the window of when that player is the best player that he can be. And every player is a little bit different. I mean, um, a high school player coming in is probably going to take longer to get to the big leagues um, just by virtue of the fact that they, he didn't have three years of college to really build up his skills and he's a little bit younger. So a Max Muncy, for instance, you know, in Stockton is going to move along a lot slower than a Zach Geloff who was drafted one round behind him in the same draft because he was three years of Virginia under, under his belt when he got to pro ball. Um, but that isn't necessarily with salary in mind. It has a lot more to do with the skills they've already acquired to that point. Once they get to double A, regardless of their age, I think then's when you can really start to see, okay, this pitcher, I mean, this player is getting to a point where you know who he's going to be or who you think he's going to be when he gets to the big leagues and you can start to plot out this is when he's going to get there. So, you know, that's, it's such a different thing. And, you know, and development is so nonlinear. And I think one of the other things that we've been noticing is that with position players in particular, as quickly as they've been getting to the big leagues, so many of them are struggling when they do get there that perhaps some of this idea of how quickly they're moving players is going to get revisited. You see a Jared Kellenick, you see Adelaide Rushman, all these guys that didn't have a lot of minor league time, especially because we lost that 2020 season. They got to the big leagues and it was a whole new world on them. And they hadn't really accumulated the, the skill level yet that they needed to get to you know, sustained success at the big league level. Um, Joey Bart in San Francisco, I think you've seen a lot of the same kind of thing. So it's, it's not an exact science. And I think that's part of the frustration is that I think when everybody thinks they figured it out, new things pop up and the pandemic itself and the development of players right now has so skewed how we're looking at them that I think timeline has really just shifted on everybody. All right. I want you to play me and I'm a caller. So A's lose... Uh, right now, you're 20 games under 500, and I call you up, and I go, hey, Melissa, it's Chris from San Jose. I'm tired of watching this. This doesn't work. Who is down on the farm that realistically can help this team this year and next year? 
That's a good question. Uh, I think you've seen a lot of them already. And, and the fact that they ne- haven't necessarily clicked right now does not mean they're not going to click for you later. I mean, um, you look at Sheldon Noisy, right? In, in the April that he had, he looked like he was going to be a big part of the A's future, fell off the table in May, had to go back to, to Las Vegas. And since he's gone down to Las Vegas, he's hitting the ball hard again. You know, that, that whole hard hit rate completely fell off the table in May um, in early June in the big leagues. And now in a lower pressure situation, perhaps he's working on something. It, things are starting to come back. Um, so, you know, some of the guys that people are frustrated with right now, you can't completely discount them. Obviously, Nick Allen is a guy I think is going to be an impact player for the A's. I've talked about him a lot, and I think he will come back at some point and be there. I'm really, really excited to see what Jonah Bride can do. Um, you know, he's not a kind of player you build your lineup around, but I think he's a guy that can have a very subtle impact on a, on a lineup because he can – see a lot of pitches. He has quality at bats. He gets on base a lot and they haven't had a lot of that. You know, they've, they've had a lot of contact relatively speaking, but they haven't had a lot of really good at bats where they're driving up pitch counts early on. They're, they're getting on base and turning the lineup over before the fifth inning, you know, that, that kind of thing has been really lacking. And he's a guy that can really help stretch a lineup for you. Um, you know, I, I think Adrian Martinez had a nice debut start, and I think we'll probably see him again once the trade deadline comes and perhaps Frankie Nantas is, is somewhere else. Um, you know, so I, I think it's a lot of the guys you haven't seen. One, one reliever I think we will see by the end of this year is currently in double A is a, a Garrett Acton, uh, throwing up to 98 really regularly, missing a ton of, of bats. Um, he's a guy that I think like Zach Jackson can kind of appear out of nowhere and suddenly be a setup guy, maybe even a closer in a very short period of time. Uh, so I would definitely keep an eye out for him. That sounds good because power arms, the A's need a lot more power arms. Jonah Bride, I can see Last Dive Bar, who's one of our sponsors, already coming up with the T-shirt. Here comes the Bride. I can just see it happening now. Um I know you've been covering this because I, I read you in the offseason where all of a sudden Jonah Bride's now going to catch, and he's going to do anything he can to get to the big leagues, which a lot of guys should pay attention to. You should try everything. Versatility is key in our game with lack of bench help, and we got 8,000 guys down the bullpen. Guys that can play a lot of different positions can help you with your lack of bench depth, and – I got his numbers hitting 347 so far with a 1,024 OPS in the minor leagues. I know you've been following this. You got to be really happy because you saw this coming all the way back this offseason. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's a guy you root for if you're covering baseball anyway, right? 23rd round pick. So in today's game, he wouldn't have even been drafted, right? He would have been a non-drafted free agent, senior out of South Carolina and went the JUCO route before he got there. Um, He's the kind of guy that, you know, I think Ed Sprague said it really well. You look at him and you're not going to be wowed by anything that he does when you're just looking at him once. But when you watch him every day, he's just the kind of player that does so many things well and helps your team. Um, and what he can do with the bat is really special. He uh, edited, started monitoring the number of the amount of contact hitters make on fastballs in the zone in the A system last year. And Jonah was the number one hitter for that in the entire A system that included the big league roster last year. So that included guys like Matt Olson and Mark Hanna and Matt Chapman and everybody else. Um, and and that, that ability is fairly rare. I mean, that's part of the reason why you're seeing so many huge fastballs now is that guys can't necessarily hit quality velocity in the strike zone. Um, and he can, he can, he can use the whole field. Um, 
He works up counts, even though he's a contact guy. He's not a guy that's swinging on the first pitch. I mean, he's going to get quality, quality at bats for you. Um, and he's a very solid defender at third, second, and first. And the catching, I mean, they said to him, hey, you know, get behind the plate and learn it. And he's catching in the Arizona Fall League. But that October, he'd been doing it for a month. You know, that's that's pretty impressive when you consider the quality of arms that go down to the Fall League and uh, came into camp. Uh, had to sit out because of the lockout until they 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 um, waived things because he was on the 40-man roster. Comes into camp, only gets a couple week, weeks with the big league guys, but did enough there to show what he you know he could do. He went down to Midland to catch more. Um, and he's not going to be an everyday catcher, but if you want to put all the catchers in the lineup like they're going to have today in Boston, he can be that guy if somebody gets hurt that he can move behind the plate, you know, um, or he can catch a, a game here or there. Um, to kind of stretch out a roster a little bit. If they decide they only want to carry two catchers and then somebody's is hurt, they won't have to call up a third. So um, he's a really good study on if you've got some talent, even if you're not going to wow guys with, by scouts, the hard work and, and, and everything that you put into it can get noticed. And, um, you know, I, I hope he stays. He's a kind of also the kind of guy that clubhouses tend to rally around too. So I think he's, he's a good move for this clubhouse. Well, and let's face it with Bethancourt being red hot right now and doesn't hurt you at first base. And if I'm going to have Jonah bride behind home plate, Melissa, I don't need him to be Johnny Bench or Pudge Rodriguez. No one runs anyway. I need him to hit. I need offense. I mean, I can tell you right now, I keep score and watch every inning of every game. Defensively behind the dish is not the reason why we're 20 games under 500, right? Right. Yeah, no, that's true. And and it was interesting, too, that uh, Gabe Ortiz is the ace catching coordinator and um, he was talking a lot about how, you know, catchers have gotten pretty fancy back right right? There's one knee down, there's one knee up, there's different stances. And, you know, they said to Jonah, like, let's just be basic here. You're going to have a basic setup. You're going to know how to call games. He's a very smart player, so he understands at bats anyway. Um, and they're not going to make it too complicated for him. So, you know, again, I, I don't think they envision him as an everyday catcher at any point. I think he could become at some point an everyday infielder. Um, but it's it's certainly an option that that they'll be able to utilize. Okay, so 3B tonight, like, if you had to say, okay, I, I'm going to have to play. I mean, he's not going to play short. I where, where Where is he best? If you had to say best position, if you're going to give him one glove. All right, how about this? If you're going to give him one glove, what glove and what position would you put him at? He was very solid at third base. Every time I've seen him, I think he's a he's a solid third baseman. His his arm is not Matt Chapman level, but it's fine for that position. Yeah, who's he's got his? Good hands. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you know, he's got good hands. He he moves laterally well, and 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 um, so I think he does fine there. He's a good first baseman as well. And I haven't seen him play as much second. That's been a newer position that he's added the last couple of years in Midland. But um, Bobby Crosby was very high on how he played there. And, you know, frankly said, if I stuck him at shortstop, I'm sure he'd do fine too. So, I mean, I think, you know, he's not, he's not, he's not a quick player. His, his lowest skill, if you're going to talk about tools would be his speed. So, so shortstop's probably not the best fit for him, but uh, first and third, you're not going to think twice about putting him there. Okay. So Kevin Smith goes down. You were expecting this guy to be able to handle third, Obviously, a natural shortstop could fill in at short if you needed. If something happened to Elvis, Pache, we we know how this season has gone. If you had to pick the most disappointing guy so far at the 
big league level for the athletics, who you expect to be a part of your future, who would it be? Yeah, and I mean, I think that's a tough call. I think both, obviously, Pache and Smith have been disappointing in the sense that they haven't been able to hit. Now, they both had not been able to hit in their stints coming into this season when they were with the teams they were with before. So I don't know if it was a huge shock. And again, as I think if you look around the, the league, rookies around the league are having a difficult time right now. Um, and I think that that does speak to the, the development that those players lost in 2020. Um I, I will have to say both Pache and Smith have not allowed their struggles offensively to carry over defensively. I think for the most part, they've been above average defenders, which is what you kind of expected when they were, came in. So I think that's been solid. Um, you know, I think for, for Smith going down to AAA the same way with Sheldon Noisy that I mentioned earlier, you know, the idea of going in a low pressure environment to make some changes, because I think for young players, it starts to get really big on them really quickly. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think it is disappointing that neither one of them has run away with, uh, the position yet, um, that, and given the run that they've been given, um, as starting players, but it, it's hard to be disappointed with young players. I mean, I think you just, you can't count on them to be the centerpiece of your team. That's why I think in the past, you've seen that the A's have worked their guy, young guys in around a veteran lineup and why I think they did bring back Jed Lowry and Stephen Vogt and all these kind of guys when people are like, well, they're going young. Why would they bring the veterans in? But I think it's, you know, it's important for young players to not have to feel like they're carrying a team because this isn't basketball and they're not the number one pick. And, you know, they can't, you can't build an offense around one particular guy. So um, this is, it's a process and um, hopefully they will be better for the struggles. You know, I think with Pache, he's making hard contact. So I think Smith, it's probably, his numbers are more reflective of the contact that he's made than, than with Pache at this point. All right. I've had something waiting for you. <laughs> How long have you been kind of covering the minor leagues? Since uh, 2004. All right. This article came out on ESPN.com. How one pitching prospect could change MLB draft forever by not pitching. <laughs> We've yeah. seen in football – we have seen players not play the end of their season in the rivalry game, back out of bowl games to get ready for the NFL draft. Basketball, seen it. Now what's going to happen if we yeah, get so into this with baseball? Yeah, right? what, yeah. what are we going to do now in yeah. baseball if we've got kids and we're, we're, we're going to get into this today where – Everybody's becoming workout warriors. Mm -hmm. Everybody is getting their body in the best possible shape. They work out. Look at the numbers on StatCast. Look at the number on TrackMan. Look at the numbers on Hawkeye. But the actual in-game competing, not so much. What's going to happen, especially to pitching, if we've got guys that are doing this with the draft Heck, they might come to organizations and they may say to general managers, agents, hey, listen, I want my guy only pitching so much, and this is why, because of the injuries. Does stuff like this, limiting the volume of players, scare you? 
Yeah, I mean, so it's interesting that Brandon Barreria is the, the the pitcher that they talked about. And we actually did an article. So my, my main job is actually as an editor for our, our minor league coverage and our draft uh, coverage for The Athletic. And uh, one of my writers, Maria Torres, has been covering Brandon, uh, you know, for about a year now. And he made the decision to shut down early about a month and a half before his high school season was going to end. Um, in, in part, because frankly, almost every good pitcher for the first round in this draft has gotten hurt so far. And I can't imagine what would be going through the mind of a young pitcher in looking at that. Um, and I think in pitching in general, because so much of what teams are scouting on does have to do with the track man data that they're getting and, and, bullpens and, and maybe less to do with the in-game results. You almost sort of saw this coming. The reaction around the industry was fairly mixed. I mean, I think some people understood it and other people felt like it was a reflection perhaps on the idea that um, this kid isn't ready to compete, you know, and I don't know that we, you know, they're, also they're getting advice from adults. And so putting anything on a kid, I think is unfair at this point, but um, I, I think we're going to have to wait and see. I, I don't know that it's going to be, as big a trend perhaps as what that article made it out to. Um, I, I do think in general, the fact that we did have, and I, I hate keep going back to this idea of 2020, but we had an entire season that was lost on the, every single level, at least half of or all of for that year. For, and for pitchers in particular, that was a year that they didn't get the innings that they were going to get. So um, I think you're, you're seeing as many injuries as you're seeing in part because in, in, innings had to, click up so much last year and then this year on these guys that um, the strain was coming out. So there, there are a few unique variables in there. You know, that being said, there is a lot lost when you don't play. And I think you see that with um, the international system, the way it is now and players from the Dominican in particular are, are showcase players as opposed to actually playing. Um, whereas you look at some of the other countries like Venezuela that have actual high school baseball programs they're a lot more game ready when they get to professional baseball, but there's a big difference between being 16 and having two years in the Dominican summer league and being 18 or 19 or even 21 in some cases, and not having a lot of game experience and having to come right into professional baseball. Um, so I do, I do think a lot gets lost with competitiveness. I, you know, one of the reasons that Jared Koenig is, is a guy that I you know was really excited to see. And also I think is someone that has been able to have the success is because He's had to compete for literally every shot he's ever had, right? You know, here's a guy, he he got drafted late by the White Sox and then they didn't even offer him a contract. So he didn't get to turn pro. He had to play, you know, uh, independent baseball for four and a half years. He had to go to Australia. Um, that shows a certain level of competitiveness and willingness to try new things and be aggressive that you don't necessarily see if a guy's been sort of protected in the way that some of these kids get protected early on. And I do think it helps you when all of a sudden you're in a tough situation on the mound and you're going to have to will your way through it as opposed to just stuff your way through it, if that makes sense. Um, and so, you know, there are probably going to be some ramifications for it. You know, that being said, there's so much money involved. There's so many opportunities involved. Um, you know, you hate to, to kind of judge somebody for making a decision that, you know, really can kind of set their families up for, for a long time. So, um, I see, very, I see definitely both sides of it, but I think the more baseball that players play, the better they are at it. And I know that sounds very simple and stupid, but it's, it's very true. It's, you know, you, it's a very, very difficult game. And there are so many things that go into understanding what a situation is like when you've got runners on and, 
you know, less than three out in less than two outs. And you've got to figure out how to get out of that situation that you just don't get when you're in a bullpen and they're just measuring those spin rates. So I'm not really a big fan of it, um, but I do understand why it happens. And, um, and especially this year with the rate of injuries, I can see why it happened this year. But, um, but I also think, you know, the industry is going to tell these kids what they're going to want and what they're not going to want. And if it's not well received this year, um, I don't think it'll grow into a huge trend. Ah, I'm seeing the exact same thing happen in golf. Everybody's worried about their track man numbers. And sometimes that doesn't equate to how you actually score on the golf course. We're now seeing more golfers injured than ever before. We have a bunch of young men who are constantly training to the technology. They're not playing games. And I've said it on my show, and I will stick by this. This year is a tipping point because we're running out of pitchers. And pitchers are throwing less than ever before in the history of our game. You can give me lockout. You can give me COVID. This has been trending for a long time. I had a conversation with Scott Emerson. I said, you watch. In five years, you're going to need a 20-man staff to get all the innings you need because starters just aren't pitching. But I want to end on this because you said something that was really interesting that a lot of people don't know about this. We don't harp on it too much. But, yes, the international players, they don't play baseball. They they do exactly what I'm talking about. They train. That's all they do is train. Scouts go down and watch him, look at his size, look at his speed. And one of the great examples is Robert Poisson. A's gave him $5.1 million to sign. Really never watched him play in baseball games. But, boy, he was a man-child. Where are we now with him and that $5.1 million and never really watched him play games? Yeah, I mean, he's he's had a very rough start to his professional career. Um, I don't know if it's going to come together for him. He's, uh, you know, they've, they've tried a few things this year with him. They've taken switch hitting away and tried to have him focus on one side at a time to see if that helps because it's, it's a lot to try to learn two swings when you also are kind of making up for the fact that, you know, you didn't have a lot of experience coming in. The talent flashes at times. I mean, you'll see it. You know, you'll see him hit a home run and you'll see him make a great play and you'll see him run the base as well. Um, but it's just not anywhere close to consistent. And I think it's it's unfortunate, you know, they don't have short season anymore. And that might have been a level that would have been a lot more appropriate for him to be learning at than, than this level. But, um, you know, the way things have kind of sped up on him, I, you know, I'm not sure, you know, where it's going to come out. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's tough. I mean, he's he's a very talented kid. He works hard, but, um, you know, it's it's he doesn't have the natural sort of instincts necessarily that you might see from somebody that had played a lot of games coming in. Um, and it's, you know, again, it's, it's kind of unique to the Dominican in the way that, that it's set up there right now. I mean, kids from Venezuela, Puerto Rico, Panama, a lot, a lot of them do play a lot of baseball um, because they have high school systems that are set up, you know, they're talking about in a couple of weeks, they're going to make a decision about whether there's going to be an international draft. And there's a whole lot of pros and cons to that as well. Um, but one of the things that could end up, end up being is changing way, um, you know, the baseball factory kind of system is done in the Dominican. Um, we'll, we'll have to kind of see how that goes. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's tough and it, you know, it's, it, it's, it's just a tough situation right now. They made so many changes to how minor leagues are set up. Um, and then they had a pandemic and they stuck with them and they eliminated a whole level. And they, it, it's just, you know, and I think we're, we're seeing a whole bunch of things that are just not matching up right now. And Robert's sort of been one of them, unfortunately. Your work covering the minor leagues and the athletics is second to none. 
It's fabulous. And thank you for what you do because this year, uh, in any year uh, that we need this, and probably the next couple of years, it's, it's invaluable what you do. Well, thanks. I'll, I'll be here for you. It's been, it's been a long time. I've seen a lot of ups and a lot of downs. And, um, you know, it, it is cyclical. I will say the one thing that I think people forget is how cyclical it really is. And as bad as things are now, um, you know, it can be a year or two and things are, are bright sunshine again. So um, nothing is forever, <laughs> I think, is the thing to remember. Great stuff. We will uh, talk to you soon and uh, tune into pregame to, today because this will be replayed on pregame. Okay, thank you so much. Take care. Be well. Bye. She's awesome. Is Jesse here? He is. There he is. Well, hello. How are you? Things are good. I'm in the majors. Do you think, like, of all the great players in American League history who made their debut at Fenway Park, are you going to go down with, like, Ted Williams and all the great Red Sox? I mean, you're making your debut at one of the most historic places, just not in baseball, but in all American sports. I'm not in the top two, but I'm in the top (laughs) 20 at least, maybe top 200. (laughs) So what was it like when you land in Boston? It's like, wow, you're going to make your debut at Fenway Park. What was it like? Just take us through this journey so far, landing there in Boston and going to Fenway Park today and getting up to that press box. I mean, the feeling has been, from my mind, just don't embarrass myself. So whatever prep work that I can study, if I can try to find out how many gallons of paint it takes to paint the green monster, if I can look into anything I can find about Christian Bethencourt that can give me the edge, and then after that, then I can take a deep breath and go... Yeah, let's enjoy some baseball. Yeah, you need to enjoy every moment of this. And I think about you recreating games. Have you ever recreated a game from Fenway Park that's already happened? Not yet, but I guess because I haven't done it yet doesn't mean (laughs) I'm not going to. I don't need to do it because I'm here. I recreate games that I can't see. So I, 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 I just think about Fenway, too, just how historic it is. I mean, it'd be great for you to make your debut anywhere, one of the new ballparks, all that. But just what does it mean to do it at such a historic place? I'm an enormous baseball fan. And, I mean, historians study the history, and then what they write, I read. So all of the stories from, okay, so this ballpark is 110 years old. And reading about Duffy's Hill, that 10-foot mound that used to lead up to the, the monster, reading about okay, let's talk about why it's called pesky polar, all the players who've played here. In the minor leagues, I enjoy telling our players, think about the prospects who came before you. Think about the decades worth of the greats who played here, who learned here, who grew here. And here, the memories, the moments, the legends, the guys who are the opposites of legends, the bloopers that have happened here. There's just so much that has transpired. So yes, it does. It does make this stand out. And let's say I was making my debut in Seattle. Yeah, I'm so happy for you. This is uh, this is going to be a lot of fun. By the way, we appreciate the lug nuts gear that you sent us. We've been repping it here on A's Cast, and I've also done it for my TV hits on NBC Sports California. We want to say thank you for that. We're giving love to our lug nuts. How do you rock, both of you guys? I appreciate you going a little bit nuts with us. So how is it down in Lansing these days? 
Things are good, especially with Tyler Soderstrom warming up. Lawrence Butler caught fire recently. There's legit talent. And we got to see that with Jeff Criswell, Hogan Harris, Austin Beck getting promoted. Denzel Clark coming into Stockton. These are the beautiful days in Michigan in June. This is when you want to play baseball. And we're seeing some pretty darn good talent start to poke its head up. When you see Soderstrom out there on the field and it compared to everybody else, is there real? And I've been reading the minor league reports. Obviously, he is doing well. But when you look at him as he's getting bigger, as he's growing, becoming a man since being drafted out of high school, out of Fresno, are, are you starting to see like, yeah, this is what a big leaguer looks like? So I could see flashes of it in April. I could see it in that bat. And here's what really stands out. You'll see a pitcher start to get a little cocky because he'll strike this guy out with a high fastball, strike that guy out with a high fastball. He gets ahead of Tyler, no balls and two strikes, high fastball time, and Tyler whacks it out of the ballpark. Same thing, breaking ball away strikes out this hitter, breaking ball away strikes out this hitter, Tyler takes him out to left center. We're searching for the consistency. That's the big thing for any player in the minor leagues, especially at the lower levels. You want to see it at bat after at bat. You want to see it game after game. Uh, but the ability, the actual potential to do it, his bat is so quick, he can read and barrel, and the power is legit to all fields. So watching him grow, watching him adjust, watch him get tested and challenged in a difficult league, in difficult pitchers' ballparks, and especially in April with the freezing weather, this year has been a great growing, challenging experience for him. Yeah, how cold is it early on in the season? You can't feel your hands. So I'll ask the pitchers, I'll say, is it worse to be a pitcher or a hitter? And the pitcher goes, oh, it's so much worse to be a pitcher. I can't throw a breaking ball. I can't do anything. I'll ask the hitters the same question. The hitters are like, if you don't hit it on the barrel, it's it's bad news. So no, nobody likes playing baseball in April. Yeah, I got to think what would be worse. I would just think from high velocity – I would want the pitcher to know where it's going. And if you're throwing in cold weather, you throw in a little bit of wind, he's not feeling it, but he's still throwing at high velocity. I think I wouldn't want to be a hitter just knowing that I don't know if this guy knows where the ball's going. No, it's uncomfortable. And it's funny, too, because the pitcher doesn't work in because he's going to drill the guy. But the batter doesn't want the pitcher to pitch in because then he's going to get jammed. And so what you end up with is either a lot of Quick at-bats with guys swinging away immediately. Or what we saw with Lawrence Butler at the start of the year, where the dude just took everything. And I would say, why aren't you swinging? Why aren't you being aggressive? And it was too cold to swing. So you, you needed all these guys to get their bats out and, and honest to goodness, thaw. Everybody needed to thaw out in May. And then do you then see, like, the community where everybody kind of comes out of hibernation and now everybody gets around the ball club because now it's summer, it starts to get humid, it's barbecue, it's have a good time. What's it like when, when everybody starts to come out and it's time to start going to baseball games again? The crowds change. We have maybe the number two, the number three attendance per game in the Midwest League, especially 4th of July. We draw more fans than anybody else, but you don't know it in April. In April, you can count the crowd. You can Everybody knows everybody else by their first name by the fourth inning. But once you get into May, and especially June, that's when we start seeing 7,000, 8,000 per game. And that's when you see the energy lift the players. When there's nobody there, they have to supply their own energy. When there's a crowd there, especially our Thursday nights with Michigan State students, 
Thursday nights are a zoo, and it's awesome. Why do I think there may be some type of uh, beer specials going on if it's Michigan State night? Oh, you think right. Would you prefer (laughs) to have $2 domestics or $5 crafts? I know. Down down here, Cody always goes to the San Jose Giants game. They got the beer batter. So what they do is they pick the guy who's got usually the lowest batting average, and if that guy strikes out, it's half-off beers. I've literally seen grown men push women and children out of the way to get in line for the beer batter. It's it's really incredible. We've got the beer bats, too. The other thing, too, is if you're looking for a date, you can always find a date on a Thursday night in Lansing. Oh, I love it. It's a cheap date, too. $2 beers. Hey, you want a Bud Light? <laughs> All right. Give me some sleepers down there with Lansing right now. Give me – who are some guys that you go, yeah, he might have a shot. What do you know about Drew Swift? Nothing. Okay. Eighth rounder, Arizona State last year, gold glove winner, best defensive shortstop in all of college baseball. Fastest guy in the Midwest League. If he gets on, he can steal any base that he wants. He's already scored from first base on a single earlier this season. So the glove is awesome. The speed is awesome. Prototypical leadoff hitter. He gets on pretty easy to drive him in, and Austin Beck drove him in virtually every time. Keep his name in your back pocket. The guy he reminds me of in Lansing, whom we saw and now made it up to the majors as the fastest guy, is Tim LeCastro. We'll see if he wow. can hit even better, but like we're talking dy- dynamite speed, and the defense is legit. I really think that people might have slept on Tyler Soderstrom because the injury stopped him from catching. You know his name. Then he got slid back down. He had a tough April. The bat's not going anywhere. That bat is going to be just fine. Let me. We were talking Thursday, Thursday. What do you know about the name Blake Beers? Uh, I've said during the minor league reports, if this guy ever gets to the big league level, I see some merch. I see some sponsorships going his way. Okay. So it's beers and sliders because Blake (laughs) beers slider. You could call it the best slider on the team. It's gotta be one of the best sliders in the org. And when you, you know, put that alongside that mid nineties fastball, Showed up with us, struck out 11 in six scoreless innings immediately. Next time out, took on the best offense in the league, grinded, struck out seven in six innings. They couldn't touch him. He just went to the mound, pitched to contact, and again, seven innings with ease. Three starts, three quality starts in the minors. When you don't throw quality starts in the minor leagues, he's a guy, he was terrible at Michigan. Look at his stats. 19th rounder last year. What a find and what a great job the organization has done working with him to develop him. Do me a favor, tell him if he gets to the big league level, I'll get him like a sponsorship like Applebee's, beers and sliders. I'll get something for him. If he gets here, I will have extra money for him. You can guarantee him that. He's such a good guy. I think he'd be in. Nah, great stuff. Hey, congratulations. You have earned it. Uh, Thank you, everything you do for AceCast. We really appreciate it. And good luck. And and you know what? The most important thing the next three days, because I know – Am I talking to you today during the broadcast? Yeah, you're talking to me, top of the cast. So I'm going to have you for two, two. Enjoy. Enjoy every moment of it. You've earned it. Chris, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Shout out my man, Cody. Love it. Take care. We got Martine, by the way. Well, let's, let, let's see if he's willing to go on a hot take. You ready, you ready, <laughs> Mark? You ready, you ready to say Dave Roberts is on the hot seat? I mean... It's, I mean, based on 
you know, I mean, they've, they've built up great records over the years, but I mean, between the, the failed, you know, world series attempts and how they're going this year with the Padres catching up. I mean, I think, I think it definitely, uh, I think it's certainly something that's, that's on the minds of, of, of people in LA right now. Yeah. I, it's actually been brought up and, you know, I think for us, because we're in the division, I mean, a lot of people were shocked by Joe Madden getting released. But then I think us in the division were like, hey, man, you got all this talent. You're spending all this money. You've now lost all these games. He was brought in to not wait to win, to rebuild to win. You've replaced the guy that hired him. I mean, they're built to win now. You're not winning so, like, when you really think about it, you're like, I'm not so shocked. Like, people shouldn't be so shocked at, at, that, that some people got to make these decisions to jump ship. I mean, if you're built to win now, what is the future if you're, you're supposed to be doing it today? Yeah, I mean, it's all, about, it's all about where you're at and where the expectations are. I mean, the Dodgers, you look at them coming in and everybody, basically everybody picking them to win the World Series. And, I mean, if they don't win the division, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a total disaster based on the expectations. So, uh, it'll be interesting to see how the second half goes for them and, and how they kind of respond. Their, their pitching staff seems to be in shambles, too. So, I mean, we'll see what they do at the deadline and stuff. But um, that's a tough division for sure. All right, I want your I want your take on this as it is 132 when we are having you on here on A's Cast Live. We have one final today. It is Detroit getting beat up by the White Sox at home 13-0. We had not one, not two. But three position players pitched for the Tigers today. Um, you've got 13 guys on your pitching staff, and you threw three position players. This is just the start of today. Where are you right now? We have more pitchers than ever before, but yet we are by far going to set the record for most position players to pitch in games. Yeah, that's uh, – oh, man, I don't even know about that. That's not good. Um I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm not a, you know, I don't like seeing pitchers come in. I mean, I, I understand, you know, sometimes the logic that's behind it, like, you know, the A's have done it a couple of times and, and Kotze's, you know, explained it. But, um, I mean, you never want to see it. There's enough, there's enough, like you said, there's enough roster spots to where you shouldn't have to do something like that, right? You should have a pitcher that you can use to eat up the last whatever innings that you need. And then you could send them down and, and call somebody back up um, from AAA or something like that. But, um, to use three position players in a game, that's insane. That, I never thought I would see something like that um, in baseball. So, um, I mean, I think, you know, there's obviously – I think it's going to be something that has to be discussed, you know, probably at the end of the season because, I mean, if it starts getting out of hand like that, I mean, it's 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 a tough product to watch. I mean, the fans that are showing up don't want to see position players come on. I mean, I, the novelty's worn off on it. You know, at first it was, you know, kind of funny, but um, when you start seeing it so often, it's not even – it's not even like a like a notable thing anymore. It's just like – you know, whatever came in to pitch, you know, an inning. And um, it's not, you know, the game, I think, definitely suffers when, when it happens that often like that. All right, I'm not going to give you my opinion. I want I want to hear yours first. When you start hearing about all the different players used, when you start hearing about all the different debuts, and this is all going to be highs for the A's this year, how do you feel about that? Well, I mean, we kind of knew we kind of knew this was going to be the case, right? Coming into the season, uh, you know, rebuilding year, they were going to be, you know, shuffling guys in and out to try to figure out, you know, which guys, you know, are, are performing well. You know, if a guy from AAA is performing well, you call him up. A guy's not performing up here, going down. You know, like yesterday with Kevin Smith, that was, you know, kind of a, 
I wouldn't say surprise. You look at the numbers, the offense has been kind of bad, but um, defensively he's been pretty good. But I mean, this is kind of what you see with teams that are, that are going through a situation like this. They're trying to figure out, you know, which guys are going to be part of this future or not. Um, and, you know, you're going to see, you know, transaction like this, they're probably going to break a record for like, you know, major league tape for rookies used this year. I mean, they've used so many and um, you, you've kind of seen it the last kind of, you know, month or so, two months or so where, uh, you know, guys have gone through struggles, prolonged struggles. And now it's getting to the point where, you know, they're making these decisions worth, okay, we're going to send you down guys like Sheldon Noisy and, and Kevin Smith yesterday. Um, you know, you're struggling to the point where, you know, we're going to send you down and try to maybe get that confidence back up and, and, and bring you back up later on. But, um, you know, they're, they're trying to come up with the best group of players that give them a chance to win because obviously it's been bad. I mean, two losing streaks of, you know, 10 in a row or whatever it was is not good. I mean, it doesn't matter what position, if you're rebuilding or not. I mean, it's tough on the players. You could see it on a daily basis. They're grinding and it's not fun to go through. So they're trying to come up with ways to kind of just get some wins here and not, you know, fall into that type of slump for prolonged periods of time multiple times through the season like they already have, you know, these first two months, three months of the season. Yeah, my answer is I love it. We're in a pivot. Let's see as many guys. I, You know, some people are trying to – some people are trying to, to to look at this as a negative, and I'm like, so what do you want to do? Just have the same crop of guys that you know are not very good and are never going to win, and they're not the answer now, are not the answer in the future. I say bring as many guys here as you possibly can. I've dubbed this the year of discovery. Let's find out who can play, who cannot play. Let's not kid ourselves. And the keepers, great guys who are not. See you later. But I want to see as many. I want my eyes on as many players as possible because that's the only thing that's going to make us better. So when people start criticizing, like, look how many different guys they've used. You know what? We haven't used enough. Yeah, I mean, it's land of opportunity, right? I mean, and and you never know. Guys could, you know, who you don't even expect. I mean, obviously, there's top prospects that that people want to see. But, I mean, there's always, you know, in these situations, guys who kind of come up diamond in the rough types who – come up and and you know stick and become major leaguers and that, i think that's kind of the intriguing part for me to to follow along with the season that's kind of like the you know what i kind of enjoy is, is seeing these guys kind of try to establish themselves and see if they can stick at the major league level or not you know and not necessarily guys who have been touted in the past maybe guys who come over from other organizations and are getting a chance here guys like you know danny jimenez and zach jackson these guys weren't top 30 prospects coming in uh you know they were kind of relatively unknown rule five type guys and now they've established themselves as big league relievers. You know, they're on the way to establishing themselves. So you, there's always guys like that who kind of show up during a season. And, I mean, you won't get that unless you make these types of moves, you know, over the course of the season. You've got to keep on trying out guys. And if they don't perform well, you know, you call up new guys who are, who are performing well in the minors and give them a shot and see if they can stick. It's just, you know, you're not going to stick with the same guys and just keep losing all the time. That's, that's not a, you know, very good formula there. You know, it doesn't help anybody. The players who are struggling – you know, their confidence is just going to keep going further and further down as they struggle at this level. So it's good to kind of keep on, you know, bringing in fresh energy and see if they, that's maybe the right mix that's going to help them maybe get on a little bit of a hot streak here. I hate to bring up stocks, and if anybody follows uh, the stock market, you know what I'm talking about, and your 401Ks. Good luck to everybody out there. But if Christian Bethencourt was a stock, wouldn't be expensive – and at his age, ah, the expectations, the growth that you may see. But what you've seen lately, would you gamble and would you buy Christian Bethencourt as a stock? 
I mean, he's looked real good. Uh, you know, just swinging the bat. He's he's looked good the whole season. It's just now that he's driving the ball a little bit more, it looks obviously a whole lot better. He's elevating the ball a lot more, and he's you know crushing balls all over the field to the gaps. Um, you know, it's been it's going it's going on two weeks, going on almost three weeks now that he's doing this. So it seems like he's found something, and I think you definitely obviously have to play him every day and 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 see you know where it leads to. Um, but yeah, his stock is definitely rising right now. I think for sure. Um, and I mean, he, he's like in the middle of the lineup now every day. So, um, certainly when you, when you find this type of, you know, situation where a guy who kind of comes out of nowhere, you kind of got to keep riding him until, you know, he proves otherwise that, you know, it was kind of a fluke or whatever, but right now, I mean, there's no reason not to, not to be excited about this. I mean, he's kind of definitely been one of the only few bright spots here in the last couple of weeks. So, um, any encouraging signs that you see from a team, you got to kind of squeeze as much out as you can out of them. Well, and then I say, let him start pitching, and we have our own Shohei Otani. Why not? Why not? He could be a setup man or something, I'm sure. You know, he was throwing 95 the other day. So Why not? There's really nothing he can do. You might as well give him a shot, right? <laughs> I, I, This is not easy to talk about because you're dealing with someone's career, someone who's had a terrific career, and you have a lot of, spe- have a lot of respect for him as a professional. But what are they going to do with Elvis? I mean, obviously you can't. Let him get to the, what is it, Cody? Five hundred and fifty at bats to get the uh, plate appearances. Plate appearances to get the uh, to get next year's option vested. Uh, what do you? How do you handle Elvis, a guy that wants to play every day? That you can't you can't let him get to those plate appearances. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, situation for sure. I mean, I think there was a point where he was kind of you know coming around with the bat. His bat, I think, hasn't been you know that bad, but I mean, he was swinging it a lot better, you know, not too long ago. And, and there was a point where we thought maybe he could swing it good enough to maybe get traded somewhere. And, and you know, the A's would obviously have to eat up a lot of that money on the contract, but um, maybe he would play himself onto, you know, a contending team. Now, you know, it, it's kind of been up and down uh, recently, but I mean, just knowing the type of guy that he is, I feel like, you know, the A's get to the second half, obviously, you know, being, you know, not in contention, wanting to give a guy like Nick Allen or someone there some, some playing time at shortstop. I think he strikes me as a guy who would, you know, understand, you know, the situation that he's in right now. I mean, he understands where the A's are at right now. Of course, he wouldn't like it. I mean, he's used to playing every day. He doesn't like not playing every day. But I don't think he'd be a guy who would, you know, make a, you know, a scene out of it. I think, you know, this is the direction the A's are going. We want to play, you know, whoever it is at shortstop every day with Nick Allen or someone else. And, you know, we'll still play you, you know, here and there and keep you around, you know, to kind of help out Nick. But, you know, he's got to be the guy going forward. I think that's probably the situation where it's heading because you want to see a guy like Nick Allen play every day. Um, and he basically has, has proven in the, in the minor league level that he can, you know, he's ready to get a shot, you know, and, and with a guy like that, he's got to play consistently every day. He hasn't gotten that chance yet, even when he's come up because Elvis has been there. Um, but at some point you got to kind of, you know, hand over the reins to the next generation. And, and it's good to have a guy like Elvis around kind of in that clubhouse. He's very good with, with, you know, the young guys and, and kind of, you know, helping them out with whatever they need, but, um, you know, like you mentioned, the 550 plate appearances, I, I've done the math on it. And based on where he hits in the, in the lineup, it's pretty close. But I don't, if you played every every day, it would still be difficult to hit that mark. Um, but it is possible. But I think as you get to, you know, past the deadline and into August and stuff, you start to see a guy like Nick Allen and, and others come up and, and play every day. That, that's how I think this situation will end up going down. Yeah, that's always tough, but it is the business of baseball. But we love stories, and that's what makes baseball so unique and so much fun. 
Uh, how much fun can we have with the Jonah Bride? Here comes the bride. How much fun can we have with this story? Well, I mean, it's definitely, I mean, it's a cool story, right? I mean, he, uh, you know, barely, you know, was it, what, 23rd round pick or something, senior, you know, out of college, which is rare. And, and to be able to get this far in his career and kind of a late bloomer and even learn catching last year, that, that story in its own is crazy that he learned catcher and is even, you know, catching. The A's are comfortable enough to have him catching games throughout the minor leagues. And he seems to be, you know, from what I've heard, you know, pretty good behind the plate as well. I don't know how much we'll see of him uh, behind the plate with the A's, but I mean, definitely a versatile guy. And I mean, I think th that's what this season is all about is seeing these, you know, the guys who we've heard about for a while now, the, pro the guys on the prospect list come up and, and get a chance to play, you know, every day consistently and see if they can stick or not. I think that's the, to me, that's, if I'm an A's fan, that's kind of what I'm looking to and what I'm enjoying the most is seeing young guys come up and, you know, see what they can do because I mean, it's kind of, that's all you can do at this point. I mean, it's not a year where you're going to contend for a playoff spot. It's not a year where you really are looking at, you know, veteran guys, you know, to put up big numbers or anything like that. Um, it's about the future and, and seeing, you know, if you can get some glimpse of a future. And I think, you know, as the season goes on, you hope to see even more prospects come up, you know, guys like Shea Langoliers, guys, these other guys who are at AAA who just got called up to AAA who are really close, um, seeing how they develop and see if they get a chance to, to do something here in the big league and see if they can be a part of this future. That's kind of, the thing, you know, I'll be looking at is just, you know, can they identify um, who moves forward with this team and who kind of isn't part of the future? Um, that's kind of, I think, what, what the A's are doing, you know, at this point this season. Well, you're, you guys talk to him every day, and you're getting to evaluate him. How do you feel Mark Kotze is doing so far in his first year? Obviously very tough circumstances. Yeah, I think it sounds great. I mean, I, you know, I think – you know, I wrote about it the other day in Cleveland, you know, the 10 game losing streak they were going on. That was the A's second, you know, 10 game losing streak of the year already. And, you know, I don't care what position, what, what, you know, the situation you go into, um, whether you're a rebuilding team or a contending team, if you hit those types of, you know, lows in your first season, I got to imagine it's difficult to, to handle, especially, you know, a guy like Kotze, who, you know, his playing career was known as this, you know, everyday, you know, intense guy, you know, wants to win competitor, and so to be going through a, you know, a season like this, it's got to grind on him, but he, he hasn't really shown it. You know, he hasn't really shown any signs of, you know, frustration. He's kind of stuck to the same, uh, you know, message every day to the ball club of just, you know, going out every day, you know, working hard every day, showing up, putting in extra work every day. Um, he hasn't kind of gone away from that. Um, and he's had a lot of managers, other managers to lean on. He always talks to us about, you know, how he talks to, you know, Frank Kona, Dave Roberts, you know, Craig Council, all these guys who, you know, he's, he's built close relationships with over the years. Um, and I think he kind of leans on that too, a little bit when he goes through stretches like that. Um, you know, he's able to, you know, place a phone call to them and just kind of talk about how it is to manage through, you know, a rough season like this. And um, like I said, it's, it's not easy. It can't be easy for him to, to go through this. I'm sure there's times where he's just so frustrated, you know, why, you know, why are we losing this many games, you know? Um, but he hasn't shown that, you know, he hasn't shown that to us. I don't think he's shown it to the players. I think he's done a really good job of kind of just navigating through, you know, what is a six month grind. It's going to be a six month grind. They're going to, they're going to lose a lot of games. They're going to lose more games than they win. And, you know, he's going to have to, you know, keep on trying to keep, you know, the morale high in the clubhouse, keeping, you know, guys spirits up. And I think he's done a really good job of that. And I think the players kind of, you know, really respect him for that, especially the, the veteran guys. When we talk to him about, about the job he's done, they're always, you know, very complimentary of what he's been able to do. So, you know, he's handling it as well as he could. You know, it's a tough situation for anybody, but he's handling it as well as he could. Let's end on this. I bring this up usually only in the postgame show because in the postgame shows when people really want to evaluate players and evaluate the games, 
And I always have to bring it up that I know there's a narrative from people who aren't around this every day who they look at the A's and they think rebuilding and they think young, and that's when i got to bring everybody back and go, if you look at the ages on this roster, the majority of guys are 30-plus, if not 28-plus, and now that you sent down Kevin Smith, who was 25, replace that with uh, Bride, who's 26, still, you, you got Bride, you got Pache, everybody else, you know, Murph's one of the lone 27. I mean, a lot of guys in their 30s, late 30s, mid 30s, 28 up. Uh, you know, at some point, the front office has to say, we can't be rolling a whole season with one of the older rosters in baseball and be in a pivot year. Yeah, you know, that's, that's what, that's what makes, uh, you know, this stretch of the season so tough, I think, for fans is, you know, you see these guys, you know, these guys are obviously big leaguers and they're, you know, professionals and, and, you know, they've gained the respect of everybody, but, you know, they're not, a lot of these guys who are on this team are not a part of this future. It's just, you know, it's fact, these guys are going to be gone, uh, you know, pretty soon. So, you know, we're in a, we're in a point where I think everybody wants to see, you know, who is going to be part of that next generation. A lot of those guys, you know, just aren't ready for the big leagues yet. We, 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 I know we will see some guys, you know, in the second half, you know, you get to August and all that. We will see the guy, the Nick Allens of the world come up, probably Shea Lankleers. I'm sure we'll see him at some point. Um, but a lot of their, you know, high, highly, I guess, touted prospects, you would say, are not ready yet. And that, that's the frustrating part, I think, for fans going through this season is it kind of feels like, you know, you know, where's the hope? You know, where, what do we have to look forward to right now when you look at this specific roster right now um you know there's not any you know guys on there that you kind of think you know these guys going to be around a lot of these guys probably leave in free agency or could get traded soon so um i think once we start to see a little bit more of the youth movement come up that's when it kind of gets a little more intriguing for fans and i i would think that's going to happen at some point you know at some point you get to the season you know this year and you're like we got to see what we have with some of these guys are they going to stick or not they're going to get to that point. I don't think you get through a whole year, you know, playing, you know, Stephen Boat and guys every day. You know, I think you keep those guys around, you know, as, as valuable clubhouse resources. But um, you get to a certain point in the season, I think you got to start playing the young guys, you know, on the pitching side, on the hitting side, um, and seeing what you have with them. And then seeing, you know, going forward, uh, can you provide a little bit, you know, of a feel-good moment going into 2022 when hope – or 2023, excuse me, when, when you maybe you have more – even more of your prospects – uh, progressing through the system and, and could get even more of an influx of that young talent um, at the big league level. Hey, by the way, I love I love the email with all your work in it. I think that is fantastic that you put that stuff out every single week. No, thanks. I got I got another one dropping tomorrow. It's a pretty good one. We got uh, catching up with Jerry Blevins on it. He was in Cleveland over the weekend. Yeah. I know Ace fans love him, so that's going to be a real good one. I'm looking forward to you know seeing fans' reaction to that. But yeah, it's it's fun just to kind of you know provide the fans with something else kind of, you know, behind the scenes thing. Not really, there is some baseball stuff in it, but I like to kind of, you know, bring the personalities out a little bit. So it's been fun to do. Tell uh, fans how they can sign up for that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'll, I'll tweet out the link. If you just follow me on Twitter at Martin J Gallegos, I always, you know, tweet out a link to how to sign up for every week. When a, when a new one drops, you just click on that link. And at the bottom, there's a sign up sheet. So, um, you know, if you, if you enjoy A's content, seeing kind of behind the scenes, look at this team, uh, you know, I think that's, I'm just trying to bring, you know, entertainment for the fans, you know, whatever, whatever they want to hear. I'm even open to suggestions. If you guys want me to do something, a special section, 
you know, I'm all ears. So anybody who wants to subscribe, it's free. You know, so go ahead and just uh, click the link when I tweet it out. And a little tip, it may end up in spam. Just get it out of spam, and then it won't ever and, and say it's not spam, and then you'll never have that problem again. Yeah, yeah, good good, uh, good to remind people of that, Tony. All right, buddy, be well. We'll see you uh, coming up here, what, Friday for the homestand? Yep, yep, I'll be there against the Royals. We'll, we'll be back at the Coliseum. It's good to be back home. Good stuff. See you. All right, see you, Tony. Thanks. M- Martin Gallegos from MLB.com does a great job covering your Oakland athletics, and you only get so much coverage. John Mabry, former athletic, is joining us here on Ace Cast Live on the field. Of course, now a coach with the Kansas City Royals. We not only took this thing, we've taken it to, John, to another. We're now on on Twitter. We're now on YouTube. So you're able to see what we do now oh, as, as our set. Not a bad little set here for Ace Cast Live. I'm telling you, you guys got the number one position right here. A lot has changed since you were here with the athletics way back when. In this place? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> what is it like for you when you come back and uh, you think about your time here and obviously all the years you came here as a player? What's it like when you come back? Oh, I just see all the people. You know, the clubhouse guys are the same, and, and you know, the folks around Clay's the same. Uh, just seeing people that you you saw when you were here, and you know that kind of stuff. But obviously, the team and players are different. But uh, you know, the guys that the, that are around the team are the same. Well, you think we're in we're in 2022. Look back 2002, the memory. I mean, we we still play it all the time, and you know they ended up writing a book about it, made some little movie about it. Yep. Uh, when you come here, do you think about that? Do you think about the win streak? Do you think about the team? I think it was a fun summer for sure. Yeah, yeah. I didn't start out here. I got traded here yeah. from Philadelphia, and um, you know they were all I heard uh, when I came here was how bad they were. And when we got here, from the minute I got here, from that time on, they won. And, and it was such a fun summer. It was just, it was cool. I, I do think about that. I do think about the guys. Uh, really great group of guys, fun fun bunch of guys. Uh, I always remember coming back late, like we came back late a lot. So uh, they never quit. Uh, I remember that. Um, the fans here, it was like a college football atmosphere when they're beating on the drums and blowing the horns and all that good stuff. So it was, it was a great atmosphere to play in. Um, so I remember that and the streak, going through the streak something you don't even do in Little League, you know, and win 20 in a row and, and that kind of thing. You don't even think about that kind of stuff. But uh, it was a fun summer for sure. You know, that's something we pride ourselves in around here with Oakland for so many years is how the clubhouse has been. And you can't stress enough when you look back and, and you could talk about as a player just how we have players even today that they'll leave and they'll contact to go, man, it's just not the same with other teams. There's there's always been something special about that rickety old clubhouse. I don't know what it is. It just is what it is. Yeah, they just let guys be guys, you know, and they don't they don't regulate it a whole lot. And, and uh, you know, you come out here, and I know last year we came here and guys are out playing hacky sacks and, yeah. you know, and, and big floppy hats, and um, they're wearing flip-flops out. And, you know, they just let you be you and, uh, you know, let, let the kind of the – organic natural you know fun happen because this game is you know hard it is stressful but uh, there's a time that you have to let people be people and, and kind of blow off some steam and, and they, they did that a lot here and which was which was fun as a player it was cool to see um, and it was cool to be a part of so you just kind of you got to get guys in their natural atmosphere and let them be them and, and you never know what's going to happen so it, it was cool 
We saw the Atlanta Braves finally lose today, the Chicago Cubs ending their 14-game winning streak. And, you know, you, you start to hear people who either played for the Indians or the Rockies had their great run at one point. When you're in a streak like that, do you, do you feel unbeatable when you get to the ballpark? What is the feeling like every day? Uh, the feeling is it's like continuous. You just when you go home, you feel like you're right back here, and and, and nothing is is eating at you. There's nothing that's you know going bad. It's everything is going well. Different guys are stepping up every day. Um, a different individual has a big game, or a different pitcher comes out and, and throws a gem. You know, and you just kind of expect that. And you know, I've played on some teams where you expect the other. And yeah. So so, so <laughs> yeah. you know, when you're in a streak like that, it's just great to have that kind of expectation when you get to the ballpark that something good is going to happen tonight and it was amazing how many big hits Miguel Tejada had during that time especially late in the streak 100 percent, yeah yeah he was uh him Javi all of them you know it's 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 crazy it's fun to watch but it was a lot of different guys would come up big late I mean obviously Miggy had the lion's share of it because you know he's the guy but uh there was sort of some other guys coming up with big hits as well through that streak that uh you know guys that you wouldn't expect so it was it was fun to see and then the record game, you go up big, you got Tim Hudson on the mound, you're thinking this thing's an absolute no-brainer. Yep. And then, of course, the comeback, Hatterberg, yep. and next, yep. you know, yep. once again, they're uh, making a movie about it, and it's up for an Oscar. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? But, uh, yeah, that game, we're playing the Royals, actually, yeah. and, and uh, go up 11 nothing with Huddy on the mound, you think that one's over. You know, if you go up 4 nothing with Huddy on the mound, you think it's over. So, you know, and – I know a lot of it didn't get made about how good those three were, uh, those three starting pitchers. Uh, they were really good, you know, with, and Lytle and Harang on the back end of that were really, really good as well. So we felt like we could win if, if we put up three or four runs. We felt like we we're going to be in a game, you know. And, and so those guys, when you go up 11 like that, you think it's over. And then to have that thing come back and get tied and then for Hatterberg to come out and, you know, pinch it off their closer and win the game, it was, it was crazy. It was a fun night. Making history, no doubt about it. And – Obviously, what we have here tonight is something that's obviously different to the worst records in baseball. Uh, you know, where what you guys are trying to build in Kansas City, kind of far different than just a pivot that's happened with this organization. On your guys' side, a lot of young players hoping for the future. Here we are mid-June. What do you try and stress as a coach to these players to help them grow, to get them better, because you're looking towards the future? That's it, just experience. You know, they have to get it at this level, at this time, because you just can't tell them unless they experience it. You know, they're not going to yeah. go out and face, you know, a guy that's a Cy Young candidate and, you know, and stuff it, you know, you know how, how they attack and what they're trying to do and, you know, how important every play is, how important, you know, turning double plays are or making the play when it's supposed to, blocking a ball when you're supposed to. It's like winning baseball is tedious. You know, you have to do the little things right all the time. And, you know, when guys are younger, they have a tendency to kind of drift sometimes mentally or, or they have a tendency not to understand the importance of it, you know, but it's all important at this level. You just you can't get away with a whole lot to be a winning baseball club. I'm so glad you said that because today we got the combine going on. I like this combine, but, you know, it's just kids getting in the cage, grip it, rip it, how fast you run to first base. It's no different than, like, what we've seen for all these years in the NFL combine. But what wins baseball games it's not the sexy. It's not the popular. You know, we can track man this and we can do all that, but it's little things inside an actual game that you have to do. Kind of like what we're seeing at the U.S. Open in golf. It's the little things you have to do to win. Oh, 100%. Like golfers are playing the course, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you're, you're gonna, there's going to be a sequence out here that you might have never seen before, or a guy that can command both sides of the plate or multiple different pitches or make two pitches move the same or different. You know, it's – 
they don't get to see that every day. And every time the door swings open, somebody's throwing 97 to 100, you know, with some kind of run sink, you know, and everything that they face out here is going to be, you know, high quality every day. And there's there's no easy ones. You have to slay a giant every day to win in this league. And, and so, you know, those guys get to see that on a day-in and day-out basis, day day basis, but they have to experience it. You know, you can tell them all you want, but they have to experience some of this stuff for themselves to really know. But it is, it's, you know, and, and the way the scouting of the combine is now, it's throw hard, run fast, you know, and, and hit it far. But when you get to a game, you got to move a guy, you got to get a guy in, you got to, you know, it's, you got to show up every day. And, and it's, that's the hard ask mentally. You know, you, 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 especially today's society with, you know, 24-7 scrutiny and, and the way these guys handle this pressure, and they just don't have this kind of pressure on them until they get here. All right, last one. Bobby Witt Jr., I'm looking at the numbers. Last eight games uh, since actually May 1st, everything trending up. Mm-hmm. We've heard a lot about him, seen the highlights. This is our first look at him. Mm-hmm. How special is this kid? He's very special, and you're going to see something tonight that's going to make you say, wow. It might be on the bases. It might be in the field. It might be a throw. It might be a hit. It might be something that you're going to say, wow. Uh, loud contact. It, it's going to be something. But every every day this kid plays, he gets better and better. Uh, it's, it's getting to that point where – you know, obviously today's how fast the scouting reports move that, you know, they got you when you get here. Before it used to be you could go around the league one time, second time through, you, you know, you'd make your adjustments. But uh, this kid's making adjustments fast. He's uh, he's getting to see the things that he needs to see to make his adjustments. So he's uh, he's, he's a fun kid to watch. He's a, he's a true talent for sure. Well, I tell everybody, whether it's been with the A's or my time, I used to work for the Oakland Raiders and going to play the Chiefs, going, you go to Kansas City, You've got the World War One Museum. You, you, you've got the Negro League Museum, mm-hmm. the Jazz Museum, mm-hmm. all the barbecue. Yep. It's a sneaky great town. Awesome town. Yeah, great great up-and-coming city. It's just uh, it's, it's fun to be. The atmosphere is fun. Uh, a winning atmosphere is really going to be fun. Uh, the Chiefs have made it fun, you know, and, yeah. and so uh, we're trying to get to that level as well to, to try to get, you know, that energy as well around the city to try to bring – folks out and and uh, pack the stands like they did in 14 and 15 and and so it's uh, it's going to be fun we got these kids here and uh, they're learning on the job hopefully quick well thank you for coming by i mean last time i interviewed you was a long time ago but it's great to see it great that you're doing well and good luck to you guys and we'll talk to you uh maybe sooner than you think i think we play next week sounds good you take care we got more coming up next right here on a's cast live Jonah Bright is with us here on A's Cast Live. I'm Chris Townsend. Jonah Bright, nice, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Um, talking about the Warriors having a hell of a ride in Boston. How about yourself making your debut? Saw the family there and friends. What was that like? Yeah, it was definitely a really special moment for me, uh, something I've always dreamed about. And uh, to do it in Fenway, it makes it even more special. And to have my family and my best friends there, it was, it was awesome. So when you roll out there and you're in the lineup, just put the mic a little bit closer. So when you roll out there and you're just, – just tell us what the feeling was like that, man, I'm – not only it's a historic Fenway Park, but your dreams. You've had this dream since you were a kid and you're playing in the big leagues. What was going through your mind? You know, there was definitely nerves uh, going into it on that flight uh, after I got the call. But when we went out for BP and stuff, I think everything kind of slowed down for me a little bit. And uh, I got a great group of guys around me that uh, were definitely giving me lots of confidence and – telling me it's just baseball I mean it, it's hard it's hard to just say that but uh <laughs> but definitely throughout the game just just helped me calm my nerves I had a great great time hey you've been around it you're it's not a shocker yeah. I mean you're you're 23rd round pick 23rd round picks normally don't get that yeah and I, and I bet when you signed you did you didn't think you were like hey 
I'm done with school. I want to keep playing, see how long. I mean, pretty special your journey. Just talk about what you thought when you signed and then to where you are today talking to me on a big league field. You know, I mean, when I got signed, it was a senior sign. Um, yeah, I mean, I wanted an opportunity at that point. But growing up and stuff, just, just always feeling like I was overlooked, someone telling you can't do something, um, just makes it that more special. Just just getting that uh, opportunity. And um, just everywhere I go, I want to continue to prove people wrong. And so it's special to be here in Oakland, and uh, I want to do anything I can to help this team win. You know, we joke all the time. I don't like it how we have so many different guys down in the bullpen. We have way too many pitchers. But what that means is less guys on the bench. You took it upon yourself to learn how to catch. Now you're showing versatility. You can play all over the diamond. That helps you and helps you get to the big leagues. Talk about making that change, knowing that the more gloves you have in your bag, the better chance you got. Yeah, I mean, I was approached last year about it by my manager, Bobby Crosby, um, that the idea had been thrown around a little bit. And so, I mean, I, I said, yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely willing to go to Instructional League and went to Instructional League and, and then got the opportunity to play in the Fall League as well and, and catch a bunch of great guys. Um, getting to see the different stuff, I mean, it, it continues to get better and better. So um, maybe maybe not be catching out here yet, but whenever I can, get the opportunity to go down to the bullpen. Um, and continue to catch these guys and, and try to uh, better my skills back there and, and get more comfortable. How much catching have you, had you done before that? Yeah, I've, I've never been a catcher. Um, I think when I was eight or nine years old, there was one guy that was throwing hard, so I would just go back there and catch him. Um, but, but that was more of just like rec ball and um, – Everyone just out there having a good time. Dude, so. that's crazy that yeah. in Pro Bowl, I'm going to learn how to catch. In Pro Bowl, yeah, so, that just doesn't yeah. happen. Bun bunch of great um, people around the A's organization um, putting that hope in me and and just putting that trust. And um, they've stuck with me. And the same way as, like, teammates, they're all very supportive of me. Uh, they don't expect me to be perfect. It's, it's definitely going to be taking time. Um, but you got to continue to put in the work, and uh, I'm willing to do that. So – how does it help you, I don't know, as a, a hitter defensively? Because when you're a catcher, you're the only one looking out at everybody, and everybody's looking at you. It's a completely mm -hmm. different perspective of the game. Has it helped you as a defender? Has it helped you offensively? What has catching, learning catching done for you? I would say uh, in the box, you're definitely thinking more about what the, what the catcher might want to call here. Um, not that you're always going to be right. Uh, but it, it definitely helps you just get a good perspective of the game. You're locked in on every pitch. Um, so I enjoy that. I mean, it's it's when you're catching, it's more when I get to the dugout, I'm not really thinking about my bat or my next at bat as much as I am just going back out there for the next inning and trying to catch a good game and, and build a relationship with those pitchers. So, yeah, it's, it's completely different, um, but it's something that I've enjoyed. Okay, so Ed Sprague had this unbelievable quote about you that they aired in the uh, or they put on the Athletic, and I'm not sure if you saw it, but he says that you have the ability to use the entire bat, and it's this long quote where he's talking about how you can hit it off the hands, it can be a squibber, it can be in the gap, it can be a home run. I've never heard anybody where they said he can use the entire bat. What, what what does that mean for you? Yeah, I hadn't seen that actually. Um, I mean, I, I just try to pride myself on going up there and taking a good at bat. Um, that's going to be quality for the team. Um, whether that's move someone over, um, drive them in, hit a gap. I mean, and, and I really try not to strike out. So, um, yeah, I mean, I might not always be right on the barrel, but I've just 
tended to uh, be able to find holes, and uh, I hope I can continue to do that as well. Well, and, and just watching you hit, you know, being able to make contact is a big deal these days. It's hard to believe we're even talking about that, but, yeah. you know, make – so for you being a contact guy, how uh, how has the adjustment to velocity when we struggle to make contact, that's something that's been a strength of your game? Um, you know, I, I think it's just crazy how the game's evolved, even since I've came into pro ball. Um, these guys nowadays are all throwing 95-98, and they're throwing their slider more than they're throwing their fastball. And so that makes it much more difficult. Um, but, yeah, I mean, when, when you get a fastball, I mean, that's definitely the one that I want to try to get out there and, and, and get a hold of. Were you seeing that because in college? Because we're now watching the College World Series. We're seeing so many guys throwing 97, 98. Yeah. Was that happening when you are in college? I mean, you wouldn't see too much 97, 98, to be honest. And that was only – I graduated in 2018. I mean, you would – there would be a couple teams or a couple guys on a team that would maybe run it up there. But majority of the guys probably 92, 95 tops um with good stuff but but it's definitely just crazy how to see how far this game has come yeah that this is something as people are watching on youtube and twitter that's just crazy is that yes you've got guys throwing close to triple digits but yet still throw whether it's cutter slider Mm -hmm. more than they do fastball as a hitter or a catcher is that crazy to you yeah i mean there's definitely times where um some, someone's going to be def- like nasty, and, and you're going to have to look for one pitch. And, uh, I mean, there's definitely going to be times where you have to tip your cap. I mean, these, these guys have the best stuff in the world, and uh, they're here for a reason. And so it's a grind every single at-bat, and uh, you got to take pride in it. And, yeah, continue to do that. Now, you wore one off the chest, and it broke the chain. How's the chain? Uh, the chain is actually broke, yeah. So I'm going to get, I'm gonna have to go get a new one. Yeah, because it was hit pretty hard, and you, mean, you wore it. It was great. Yeah. But then all of a sudden, when you saw the chain, I'm like, wow, it was hit so hard, it broke the chain. Yeah, I actually didn't notice that at the time. And then I was just walking back over to the third base and looked down, and I just see it hanging down. And, uh, yeah, see his chain. Yeah, we had Mark Kotze on earlier today, and he talked about that tough throw you had at Fenway Park. But he said, you know, when he came out to talk to the pitcher, he said to you, hey, next one's coming to you. What did that mean to you to have, your skip, to have the skipper have mm-hmm. your back? Yeah, I've, I've talked about it a lot with uh, – guys around the clubhouse and then even family friends when they when we talk about it uh just to have that uh hope and give a guy confidence uh, obviously that was tough for me to make that bad throw and um the game going the way it was I mean I that's all was on my mind like I didn't want to be the reason that we lost that game and so um winning that game was huge and uh the confidence that they gave me they were all hitting me saying you're good um yeah, so getting that win, being able to talk about it after, that was my first moment where it was like, oh, goodness. Uh, just got to slow it down and uh, just play the game that you've always played. And uh, I'm looking forward to getting back out there tonight. How nice is it going to be to be in Oakland, settle into a clubhouse, be able to relax a little bit, and not have all the hoopla of the whole family and the debut and everything? Yeah, uh, I think it'll be cool. I mean, I know everyone's going to be watching, um, but, I mean, it's always been that way. I've got a great group around me of uh, family and friends. People are always there for me. So, yeah, it's going to be great to uh, play here at this stadium and in front of the fans and get settled in, like you said. And let's end on this. You know, there's a lot of us out there, guys who played college, played high school, who had the dream Mm -hmm. and just knew, ah, it's not going to happen. What do you say to these kids as a 23rd-round pick, a senior you sign, what do you tell these guys about never giving up and never losing that dream until they rip the uniform off you? Yeah, I mean, that's that's everything right there, like you said. I mean, it's – I told you growing up that I was always – I was never big enough, I was never fast enough, never strong enough. 
Um, and so just to have that hope in myself and the family, uh, the great coaches, teammates I've had that have always believed in me, um, and putting that trust in yourself. I mean, anyone, anyone can do it, and you can never give up, and uh, no one can take that away from you. And um, continue to work your butts off. Do whatever you can to continue to go through the ladder, and it's not going to be easy, that's for sure. Well, I'll tell you what, you're a true inspiration, and we're going to be rooting like hell for you because it's a great story. That means and a congratulations, get near. It's awesome. We're going to cover you, uh, cover every minute minute of it, and really enjoy it. So Absolutely. it was nice to meet Thanks you. So we'll much. have you on again. Absolutely. We got more coming up next right here on A's Cast Live. Well, we have a new nickname for him. I don't think we've told. I don't think we've told Mr. Blackburn about his new nickname, have we? I don't think we've seen him since. since I mean, then. I might. You can have it. You can sell T-shirts. But when you pitch, we call it Polly Wind Day. <laughs> That's. I mean, I have not heard that. No, but. I, I like it. I, I mean, I mean that's, you, a, that's a goal every day, so That's so my not? gift to you, <laughs> Paulie Winday. <laughs> thank you. Thank you can you. ride that to a bobblehead, to T-shirts, whatever you want to do. It is great to have you on the program. Another fantastic outing yesterday. And uh, you look great on the mound. Just talk about the confidence you have because we can see it. Yeah. Um, it's. I mean, it's a lot easier to gain confidence when things are going your way and you're pitching well. Um, but it's just – I just feel like no matter who's in the box, I'm going to get you out. Like, that's that's kind of where I am right now, just, like, mentally. Like, I believe my stuff. I believe every single pitch I throw. I'm 100% uh, behind every pitch I throw uh, mentally. And, and, yeah, it's just, just kind of – it's been working out that way. Isn't it an amazing conviction? It's like, it's like you can have the greatest stuff in the world – but if you don't believe in it, especially yeah. in pressure situations, it doesn't matter. And you may not have the best stuff in the world, but if you believe in yeah. it, it works. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, it does. And it's funny, like, you know, I feel like a lot of times you hear when people have big accomplishments, you hear them like, oh, like, it's all about belief. Like, if you believe, you yeah. believe. And, like, you hear that and you're like, okay, but a little more goes into it. But, like, as soon as you do start kind of believing, it makes everything else in your body believe, too. And, like. To me, that's just kind of where I've, where I've been this year. Like I just, I just feel like anytime at any any pitch I throw, I, you're not going to hit it. Okay, let, let before we get into the mental side, let's go physical side. Take us through difference in whether we've heard a lot of different things. You know, when you have a good season, a lot of people start talking about a lot of different things. So, how much did you change grip, curveball, slider, cutter? Just physically, what what are changes or maybe tweaks that you've done yeah so one of the one of the big the biggest tweak I think this year for me that's helped me uh Sam one of our uh, analytical people she on my four seam in spring and on, honestly through my whole career um I guess my wrist my wrist wasn't neutral I was essentially my wrist was pointed up and I was cutting my four seam a lot I wasn't staying behind it and you know we talked in spring training and she told me to you know, I, my, she, she told me my wrist is pointed up. You need to have a more neutral to stay behind the ball, create better life. And so I worked on that. This was towards the end of spring training. Worked on that uh, the last couple of days about uh, keeping my wrist neutral. And it's helped my four seam a lot this year. I've never thrown as many four seams as I had this year. Did and you feel it? Like when she told you, did, did you have that feeling? You go, ah, okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Like, so essentially we're throwing bullpens. You know, they have an iPad and they have, you know, your your horizontal break, your vertical break, all this stuff. They have like your wrist position, and I was looking at it, and 
there was like four or five pitches where my wrist position was straight out for uh, straight out um, 12 and everything else was in between like one and a half and two and so I was like although like those are my four seams and she was like yes like that's why you're cutting them and I thought I was under the ball so I'm trying to in my head I was trying to correct correct something but I was going the opposite way so essentially I was hurting myself going this way instead of allowing myself to be yeah. more neutral with it and more loose it makes sense it's like even though you your feels and the reality of what's going on don't always work together. Yeah. It's it's when they both come together, when you're feeling it, you know what's going on in the science and the feelings together, but sometimes your feeling and the science are two opposite yes. things. Talk about the breaking balls. Um, honestly, I haven't really changed much on my curveball. If anything, I've, I've probably gripped it a little harder um, this year. Um, you know, I, I have been working with, like, a slider. It's a big, sweepy slider. It's kind of like my curveball. I throw it maybe – four or five times an outing um, just to give hitters a different look um, that way like they they have to be they have to be conscious of my curveball that's more like top to bottom my slider that is like more sweepy so it's just more of like a different look for them um, but as far as like grip goes all my grips really the same like a lot of it's just been mentality for me uh, with my curveball and now, obviously, like I said, seeing results with it like gives you a little more confidence with it, gives you uh, just a little more conviction behind it. But a lot of the stuff that I've done has been more mentality-wise. One of my favorite things, we're going to start dealing with StatCast, cutter versus just it's a natural cut. What is it for you? Um, mine's a cutter. Okay. Mine's a cutter. It's probably more slider-ish. Um, if you if you talk to the analytical department, um, see this is what I love is because Stackhouse is going to say he throws cutter this many times slider, but and they cut and then you talk to someone they go well I really don't throw that I yeah. you know mine's every- like yeah mine so mine essentially is a cutter and a slider if I go up with it when I go up and into lefties you're going to get more of a horizontal I'm not going to get which like, be the, the vertical depth yeah, yeah. And that's going to be the cutter now when I go down the way to righties with it. It's gonna have a little bit of slide to it, and so that's that's just how it that's just how it comes out. Like I'm I'm thinking fastball the whole time, but once I start thinking like, oh, I want it to cut when I'm going down to a righty, that's when I get messed up. And like, you know, whether it's a cutter, whether it's a slider, I mean, whatever they want to call it, they can call it. But in my head, I call it a cutter because that help that's what helps me think fastball with it. And then the action on it is the action. So. I don't want you to come out of games, and you don't need to say anything. Don't want to get you in trouble. But there's like when Kotze comes out to get you, I go, no, leave him in. Let him keep going. I know you want to go deep into games. But how do you prepare to get through a lineup once, twice, a third time, and to always keep them on their toes? Yeah, so we'll use yesterday, for instance. Like I faced Boston two weeks ago. And my game plan going into Boston from the results base, like, they were on a lot of my stuff, and like granted, like I didn't have, I didn't have my best cutter that day, and that's one thing that I knew going into that start yesterday, and that's a weapon that I kind of had in my back pocket where they haven't seen my best cutter that I had, and yesterday I had a pretty good one, and just being able to kind of take a step back and reevaluate the game from a clear mindset, where it's like, okay, like what did I do that that gave me success during this game with Boston here? What did I do well? Okay, like this is what I did. What did they do well against me? And now you start, it's, it's kind of like a, a pros and cons list, right? Okay, this is what worked for me. This is what, what they were on. So now how can we incorporate what worked for me into a new game plan 
while still being able to use certain pitches that didn't work well for me, if that makes sense. Where it's like maybe it's a yeah. sequency thing. Maybe it's like, you know, maybe we're getting too predictable out there. Like just being able to kind of break down like that and look at an outing instead of it being like, oh, bad outing or a good outing. Like being able to honestly like sit down and think about your outing and realize that, you know, every outing you're going to have good pitches, every outing you have bad pitches. Like whether those bad pitches beat you, who knows, you know, but good pitches can beat you sometimes. And, but for me, it's, it's just being able to see what worked against the team and what didn't work and why did that not work? Because it's not like, like your pitches are good. Like your, your pitches work, you know, but it's like, you know, was, like I said, was I too predictable? Did I set it up correctly? Or like, what did, did I do the same exact sequence to that guy as I did the guy on deck and the guy on deck beat me? You know, just things like that where like, it's so much game inside of a game. And I feel like in the past, I would get so wrapped up in like, oh, like I went out there and gave up five runs, bad outing, you know? And it's like, yeah, you don't want to sit there and think or dwell on bad outings, but you there are positives in every single outing that you have. Whether it's you go out and get two outs and you give up eight runs, there's still you'll still find a positive in that. You probably don't want to think about it, but there are positives at, at every single outing that I feel like gets a, some, a lot of people get away from when there's bad results there, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I mean, you, you, you you got to have positivity because in this game you can find a whole lot of negative and it can drown you, and it's tough to get out of that mindset. And that's where I want to get into the mental side. I think about when we talked to you down at spring training, Ho-Ho Cam, and this was about you making the ball club and excited and you're healthy, you know, healthy, which was great for you, to where we are today where you're going out to win. You're going out to win games against elite teams and elite lineups. Talk about the mentality of where you were in Arizona to where you are now. So coming into coming into spring training, like I, I didn't have like didn't have any options left. Like it was make or break. Like either I make the team or I'll get DFA'd again, and who knows what happens from there. Um, but I tried not to think of it like that. I tried to think of it as like I you know this is my tenth spring training. I think like I know what. I need to do to get my body ready at this point. And I allowed spring training to kind of be that for me. I didn't come into spring training adding pressure on myself, like I need to come and make a team. I need to come and make a team. I stayed within myself and I trusted that the work that I put in every single day and the mindset that I bring every day will ultimately get me to that goal. And then when the season started, it was more of like, okay, like it was like a checklist, right? Okay, first box, like check. Made a team out of spring. Now it's like, what, like, essentially, like, what can I do to prove people wrong? You know, like, I feel like, I feel like there's, there's been a lot of times, like, when I've added so much pressure on myself in the, on the field that I didn't, that I didn't allow myself to be myself out there. And where, like, I'd have so many different things going on, whether it's, like, stress of, like, not letting run score, whether it's, like, stress of, you know, Throwing strike, whatever it may be, like there, I feel like I added so much unneeded stress to myself in the past, and just being able to kind of come in with like, I'm gonna prove you wrong mindset, and you know what, what's like, what's the worst that can happen? You know, like I've, I've been DFA'd, I've, I've, I've gone through all that, like I've, I've essentially been fired for say, um, you know, and I, I work to get back here, so it's like, what, like, what do I have to lose? Like, go out there and be yourself, and like, at least if you lose, like, have them beat you. Don't beat yourself, and like. Don't overthink it, and that's just kind of where I've been this year. 
You know, one thing that I'm not good at is just sticking with what I can control. I want to control other things, which, and then it takes me back to Jim Harbaugh. I used to always say, control the controllables. And for a, for a pitcher, and I think of Frankie going tonight, I got these numbers how the team just does not score with him on the mound. And it sucks. How is a pitcher, you're out on the mound, team hasn't scored for you, you give up a run or two, and, oh, God, here we go. I, you know, I mean, how do you not get down and not worry about how the offense is performing and just control truly what you can control? Yeah, you know, kind of like what you said, control what you can control. And easier said than done. It is very it is very easier said than done. And like I said, when things are going good, it's a lot easier to control what you control. When things are going bad, like, you have little things that will frustrate you. Um, but, like, I look as far as, like, runs go, like, it is what it is, right? It's a game of baseball. Like, those guys are good. We're good. Like, it's it's essentially, like, who's, who's better on that day, essentially. And it's – honestly, like, it's – for me, like for me to control the controllables for say, it's just a pitch by pitch basis. Like whether you know, you, as a starting pitcher, your job is essentially to keep your team in the game. You know, and like if you go if you go six innings, you go seven innings, and you come out and it's two nothing, like you essentially did your job, right? Like granted, like would you rather come out when your team's ahead? Of course, everyone would. <laughs> but I think just being able to realize that like what your job actually is as a starting pitcher, you know, your job is to push the pace. Your job is to create soft contact, keep keep your defense involved, and keep your team in the game. You know, and like I said, the controllables, like you're not up there grabbing a bat. You know, you're not hitting. You're not you're not doing that. So like, that's out of your hands. And the more you think about that, the more that creeps in into your mind, and it'll stress you out. Where it's like, oh, I got a guy lead off double, can't let him score. You know, you can't you can't you can't be out there in a game and think that because I I'll tell you what, that guy's gonna score. As soon as you start thinking that, as soon as you start thinking, I can't let this guy score, walk, base hit. Now you got guys at second and third with no outs. And now it's like, okay, now you got, now you have to try and stop a snowball, which is very hard to do. But yeah, for me, it's, for me, honestly, it's, it's a pitch by pitch basis. And, you know, I have, I have faith in our offense, complete faith in our offense. Every time they go out there, you know, we've, we've put up crooked numbers this, this year and it can happen at any point. So it's just one of those things where, you know, you, you, you kind of stay in your own lane and you, you worry about what you what you can control. All right, two more. I know you got to go, but two more. Um, number one thing for you in between starts that you have to do. Oh, man. Um, I, I, I keep the same routine. I, like, when things are going well, I keep the same routine. So, like, today, day after I pitch, I'll, I'll run 20 minutes. I'll do a low, lower body lift, do some treatment uh, in the training room, you know, Tomorrow will be a side day for me. I honestly probably probably bullpens. Like I'm not. I know like throughout a season, everyone's kind of different, and like some guys will skip a bullpen here and there because it's a long year. But like for me, like just being able to get on the mound and feel feel myself coming down the mound, feel my hand out in front, like just seeing how my pitches are reacting. For me, that's something that I always have to do in between starts. Like I'm not. I'm not gonna. I don't. I'm not gonna take. Um, you know, a rotation off from getting off the mound. Like to me, that's just like, that's just prep work for me. So if that may, if that kind of answers answers your question. Any superstitions? Um, yeah, I have pizza before the night I pitch, every time. 
I mean, that's not a bad one to have. Every time. You're not going <laughs> to. Yeah, that's not a bad. Some people have some crazy. Pizza's not bad. All no, right. That's, let's yeah. end on this because we were just talking to Jonah Bride, and I said, you know what? You're an inspiration, man. I mean, you're 23rd-round pick, a senior who had to sign, who's just saying, you know what? Don't have to go get a job yet. Go play. Next thing you know, he's in the big leagues. But I think about you. You're a Bay Area kid playing on a Bay Area team. There's a lot of young players out there who are looking up to you as an inspiration who can say, hey, listen, if he could do it, I can do it. What does it mean for you as a guy that watched baseball games here as a kid to now playing on that, playing on this field, knowing that you got all these kids in the East Bay who can look up to you? No, it's an awesome feeling. Um, you know, as, a, as an athlete, I, I feel like sometimes you – you, you don't get as, as wrapped up in it as you kind of should for, like, younger generations and, like, kids. And, like, you know, I try to sign as many autographs as I can for kids because I remember coming to a park and asking for autographs and no one was signed. So, like, I try to take care of the kids out here. I know it's, I know it's very important. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I guess a message for, like, younger kids would be, honestly, always believe in yourself. And, like, when times are tough, like, you're going to get through it, you know, and, like, you know, at a younger, at a young age, I would say to play as many sports as you can. And I feel like nowadays, too many, too many kids are kind of pinholed into one or two sports, one sport athletes at, at too young. And I feel like I, grown up, I played, I played every sport besides football. My dad wouldn't let me play football, <laughs> but I played every sport. And I just feel like it, it helps with your body awareness. It helps, it, it helps with, you know, learning how to work as a team. It helps just, just being able to to build a group together even that you know maybe it's six or seven years old that's not really that kid's goal but like later on in life you'll realize that like those team atmospheres it's what it's what helps you get along with people just in life like being able to to you know connect with someone or, or whatnot like but yeah to me it's just it's honestly just just always believe in yourself no matter what you do uh dreams do come true what do you have to have on that pizza by the way <laughs> pepperoni and pineapple all right all right, we're, oh, I was gonna ask you, Cody. What 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 are yours? I, I I'm a I'm a I'm an all meat guy. <laughs> I, I go the meat lovers. What do you gotta have on your pizza? Uh, sometimes I don't mind pineapple. Uh, I, buffalo I'm chicken's gonna, fine. Buffalo or barbecue chicken. I can't do black olives. Yeah, no, that's a, that's an people like anchovies. Not not for me. No, no anchovies. I can do olives though. I can do olives. Not like strict olives. I'll do like a combination. Yeah. I won't go like just regular olives, but. I, I don't mind olives on the, on pizza. the controversial one is pineapple. Do you like that? Yes or no? Yeah, yeah you said it. Yeah. Okay, all right. Pepperoni, matters. pepperoni and pineapple. There you go, because a lot of people get on me for liking pineapple on my pizza. I so. know, but then people try it and they're like, "Yeah, this is actually Man, pretty, it's good. pretty good." Pretty yeah. good, right? Yeah. What do you do on the road? I order it. I do. Is there a spot? Do, do you like search out spots? Uh, so like, no, like so this started. It honestly, it started in when I was in Myrtle Beach, so 2000. 15 and I had a terrible first half and one night we we're on the road <clears throat> long bus trip got in late and I ordered a Domino's pizza and I ordered pepperoni and pineapple and I went out there and I went like seven innings gave up like a hit or two <laughs> and I'm like man we're rolling <laughs> with streak this is born. and then I did it again and I had a good, a good outing did it again and then this just kind of stuck with me so like it started off as Domino's and like it's kind of now it's just kind of turned into to whatever I can find on DoorDash or like 
local pizza spot by the hotel on the road. Like it's just kind of turned into that, but it's always it's always pizza day for a pitch. You know what it is? It's time for us to get a pizza sponsor for Pauly <laughs> Wendy. That's my new mission. I'll be bringing you some business. <laughs> All right. Hey, I great stuff that. as always. We appreciate yeah, thank it. Thank you very much for having me. The manager, Mark Kotze, next right here on A's Cast Live. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.